Not only on Sesame Street. to receive this award from a man like Bill After, but especially it's an honor to receive the award right here in Coventry, UK. There's the first cheap whoa, 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 whoa. of the The patented cheap pop of Mick Foley and Alex Shane is not happy. This show is not about someone like you come over here from America to England, my country, against some cheap pop and all these idiots here at the Sky Dome. You know what? Mick Foley, that award is meant to be for a wrestler. And the last time I checked, you were not a wrestler. In fact, what you are is an old, fat, washed-up, crippled piece of shit. Oh, now, wait a minute here. Hello and welcome to episode 57 of the British Wrestling Experience on postwrestling.com. And I'm your host, Martin Bushby, and joining me are Benno and Jamesy. And lads, how's things going? Uh, Benno, uh, I hope you're all better now after your uh, week of self-isolation the last time we spoke. Yeah, all good now, really. Uh, completely recovered and, and back to normal, back in work and stuff. Uh, my brother seems to have it now. I'm hoping it wasn't me that gave it to him. Um, he's, he's one of the unlucky people who lost his sense of taste and smell. Like, that didn't quite happen oh, no. to me. He's not had any more, you know, serious symptoms than that touch would. And, you know, I wasn't particularly serious either. But, yeah, I think I'd have, I'd have, I'd have struggled with that. But, yeah, back at work and... Uh, Unfortunately for, for my job, I am counted as a key worker, so in my job it's almost like the craziness of the outside world isn't happening, uh, so I'm kind of have to mm. fit my, my shopping trips uh, around uh, work time and things like that, but I had this weekend booked off for, uh, for WrestleMania, so I, I, did the, I did the bright thing, I've wasted four days of holiday, but I'm off work now until next Wednesday, uh, for no good reason really, but I'm going to sit around in my underwear, I'm going to play uh, <laughs> Jungle Boys theme and pretend it's WrestleMania weekend, pretend there's a... <laughs> There's GCW and indie shows going on, and yeah, maybe play some Xbox 360 that I uh, I dusted off today as well. So yeah, better than being in work, I would say. Yeah, because I mean, you at this time of year, you you're this is usually your peak, isn't it? You're usually knocked up a spreadsheet and you're watching everything <laughs> all weekend. I bet it's really weird for you not to be doing it this year, isn't it? Peak or trough or I don't know. <laughs> as far as as far as being like an adult human being, like it's probably like one of my lowest of the year. But I do genuinely look forward to it. Like yeah, and I think usually it's a case of like me and JP will be doing podcasts on Grap. I'll be staying up till six in the morning watching daft WrestleMania weekend shows that at any other time of the year wouldn't care about. There's like eight million. There was like eight million shows on last weekend last year. Like I say, but stay up, get up. Maybe write a little report for post, do a podcast with JP, eat a load of craft food, and then repeat it again four days in a row. And that might sound like some people's <laughs> idea of hell, but you know what? This year it not happening. I really am missing it. Yeah, I'm kind of sad it's not happening because yeah, that was a that kind of became the routine. WrestleMania weekend is uh, as unhealthy as it probably sounds to any normal people out there. Yeah, because I'm usually on holiday, sort of like around mania sort of like season. So I always miss these uh, weekenders where you're picking and choosing what uh, streams to get. So I was quite looking forward to it, doing it this year. I'd already like picked out a, a few things to watch like WrestleCon and that. So yeah, it's, it's sad that it, it all that stuff's not happening. Um, but I mean, Jamesy, how's, how's your like couple of weeks been? Um, has it been business as usual? You're going into work or are you spending a lot more time at home and stuff? It's a bit of both. Um, I, I'm still expected to go to work, but we're kind of a, a very much like I'm working in the health service over here. So it's it's kind of a, a lot of my colleagues have been redeployed to other parts of the health service. Um, so it's weird, like I'm going into kind of an empty building and I'm there on my own almost. Um, and it's it's a kind of a thing where 
of my five day week, I'm in for three days and then the other two days I'm just on call, um, which is nice in a way. It's nice to be at home with the family and help out here, like because my poor wife has the really difficult job. Like she's got a, a three year old and a five year old here in the house on her own with her 24 seven and yeah. we're not allowed to go any more than 2K away from the house. Like so what we had been doing up to up to about a week ago was like on the days I'd be off, we'd be able to go down to the local park and find a place in it away from everyone else and, and, and let, let them have a little run around to burn off some energy but that's kind of not even allowed anymore so it's it's just the back garden really like you know what I mean so it, it's not all bad though I'm, I'm actually I, I've gotten the job done over the last weekend of just clearing out there's a big load of weeds in my back garden that I've been looking <laughs> out the window at for, a, for about two or three years and I finally got it done there over the weekend and it's you know one of those jobs where you you keep telling yourself I'll do it mm. and then you can't be bothered to do it and then you do it and you go Jesus that was actually really easy like if I had just <laughs> if I had just spent two or three hours doing it like it would have been done a long time ago like so all of a sudden these jobs that were been put off are suddenly the most interesting thing in the world like so I actually had a great time I was listening to you guys on Grapple when I was doing it so it was a very happy two or three hours listening to your um, WCW review it was a great show so it was yeah, well, it's weird, isn't it? Because everyone seems to be in the same mindset as you. They're like, oh, I've got all these jobs to do. But my street seems to be taking it to extremes because I was taking the uh, taking my two dogs out uh, last week and, like, one guy had, like, virtually his entire kitchen ripped out and on his back garden. And then someone had, like, you know, stripped down their living room to the bare bones and they were sorting all that out. And I was like, wow, these uh, people are really going it for these jobs <laughs> at the... Uh, should have been done a while back, I think. But um, I mean, obviously, you also made an appearance on the Grande Hangout with John and John and Way uh, as I'm recording this tonight, and obviously they're selling a limited edition T-shirt. All proceeds going to Sunnybrook Foundation and the New York Community Trust. So, uh, so great causes there, and um, great T-shirt designed by Rob Pearson, who I only just realised was uh, one of the guys I was hanging out with in Tokyo earlier this year. So, a uh, great guy and some great causes, and. Uh, how was your appearance on the Hangout, Jamesy? Oh, great. Yeah, always a great honour to be on with the lads. And we, what did we discuss? We, we talked of, I suppose it's, it's it's kind of a check-in with everyone. It's it's not the type of Q&A they were hoping to have, I suppose, uh, two or three months ago when they were planning their, their weekend at this time of year. You know, they were thinking they'd be down in sunny Florida, you know, mm. with a big live crowd and everything like that. But sadly, it wasn't to be. And yeah, yeah, we, we had a good discussion about, about the situation over here in Ireland and about my ill-fated trip to Germany that never happened and um, quick chat about Mania weekend as well and, and just the, the bizarreness of WWE continuing as if nothing is happening and putting their wrestlers at risk by making them wrestle in this kind of situation where the rest of us are kind of keeping our distance from everyone and they have their wrestlers rolling around on canvas <laughs> and sweating on each other and all kinds of unpleasant things like it's just it really is bizarre when you think about it you know what I mean like it's a, it should be a case that only essential personnel are in work and, and I really don't think that Roman Reigns and Braun Strowman and Goldberg are, are, are essential personnel at this at this point, you know, they, they seem like the most inessential people at this point to me, you know. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because these no fan shows, when they first started doing them, sort of like uh, WWE, AEW and that, everyone was kind of like, oh, well, you know, there's no fans there and stuff like that and the more they're doing them, the weirder and weirder it seems to be getting. 
not very necessary, it seems, uh, Benno. Yeah, I mean, when I was, we joked on the last show, when I was, you know, sick and didn't have much else to do, it was kind of nice to have a, you know, even a Raw or an AEW and the, the novelty of watching these empty arena shows, that, that GCW show with the, uh, the, the no contact match, the, uh, yeah, the, the Joey Janela match, where that oh, we, yeah. which were maybe drove the internet split down the middle, but I thought was a fantastic work of art. Um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of things to watch, like the first couple of weeks of this, and then it's kind of, of, you know, there's no indies whatsoever. You know, we had that Osprey show, but yeah, run SmackDown and AEW have continued to run, and it's just it's getting weird now. Like, I think if WrestleMania this weekend was the first empty arena show happening, I'd have the same moral dilemma as Jamesy. You know, it's not really right for wrestlers to be rolling around. Never mind shaking hands. You know, the the, the type of contact you're having in a wrestling match goes far beyond that. I probably have those same moral concerns, but I might be a bit more interested because yeah, I would say like the even AEW. You know, again tie them up with WWE. Morally, I really don't think they should be running shows either. Uh, those shows all happening though, kind of gotten rid of the novelty i've seen raw and smackdown in empty arenas now i've seen wwe not really make any substantial changes i've seen a lot of boring matches die a death in front of of no fans and now yeah three weeks on we're all supposed to be excited for wrestlemania this weekend a, a two-day wrestlemania presented by a man called drunk uh i won't go on my <laughs> drunk rant again who? come on exactly who none of the europeans <laughs> listen apart from maybe yourself martin no grunk is uh he, he's he's not a name he's a, he's definitely a, not somebody who's a household name in the uk and europe but yeah a, a two-day show in front of no fans presented by him and a show that was taped a week ago it sounds terrible but you know being honest i'll probably end up watching it you know it's what else am i gonna do saturday or sunday night this week uh, but I just I think I'll be watching it with a couple of beers and I'm just just hoping that it's so bad it's funny rather than it's just so bad it's sad but I feel like it might actually turn out to be the latter yeah I've got to say that Gronk introduction video I did watch oh. that a couple of times howling with laughter I thought that was absolutely <laughs> hilarious uh, whether it was supposed to be funny or not is another matter but um, <laughs> yeah it's a weird one for me because obviously we reviewed that uh, no fans show the uh, Wrestle Talk and Will Ospreay mm. put out, and I watched that, and then I think I've managed to watch a bit of one AEW episode. But because um, uh, I'm still getting up and going to work every day, and I'm doing extra hours and stuff like that, so I, I seem to still have a, a regular live compared. Obviously, I'm staying in when I'm at home and stuff like that. But yeah, I'm not really noticing the uh, how weird or different it is because I'm still, you know, getting up and going to work every day. I mean, it's it's um, it's 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 been really challenging having to get all the ppe in place and things like that really but doing extra hours and things like that and getting prepared as you can be for something like this and it's obviously been great to see all the support from people all over the country for like key works and things like that and one that i wanted to throw out a mention to that really touched my heart and i'm sure it touched the heart of all the other nhs workers was the uh NXT UK. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> I thought you were being serious then. I was like, you so <laughs> what a Obviously, worker you are, Martin. Just... <laughs> <laughs> I was going to print that thing out and put it on the uh, in the coffee room world just to uh, inspire all my other fellow workers, but I thought, oh, best not. <laughs> nice blue and white NXT UK logo. Yeah, that'll, uh, that'll get morale up, Martin. I don't know. Oh God, that was. I mean, obviously, they, you know, they might have had the right intentions, but it just came across as so tasteless. And that yeah. thing, I was like, oh God, what is oh, this? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's it's nice to support the NHS, but you don't have to tie it into your dying UK brand. Really. Yeah. <laughs> There's probably classier ways of doing it. Uh, 
hopefully they were all on the steps at eight o'clock tonight uh, clapping though as i saw uh, a couple of videos of tonight yeah um i mean going back to wrestlemania but uh james are you planning on uh, watching it this weekend has it got you interest to see a wrestlemania over two nights with without any crowd just to see what they're going to do with the thing see uh what they do with drew galloway's uh big title victory <laughs> I think to be honest I probably will watch it I, I don't know will I stay up and watch it live but like it's there's nothing else to watch yeah. <laughs> for a start you know what I mean and it's it's such a unique thing like the, the, the one thing that it has going for it at this point is like there will never ever be a Wrestlemania like this ever again there never has been and there never will be like I, like I was watching some old Wrestlemanias during the week and you know the big grand intro the, like the, the Wrestlemania 6 intro where um Warrior and Hogan are like um, they're, they're like constellations and the stars. You know, you know how big the, the intro to WrestleMania always is, and it feels so massive. And, and you you know, even if you're not into wrestling, into WWE as much as you normally have, you still kind of get that WrestleMania feeling when the show's about to start. You know what I mean? And you know, there's the live crowd, and and during the week you see the set being built. All these things. You know what I mean? And like if if you know, it's an overused term and WWE use it a lot, but it it is a spectacle if nothing else. You know what I mean? And just seeing that big, big crowd and that big, big stadium is in of itself something. And that's not going to be there at all. You know what I mean? Are they still going to do a big grandiose intro to this show? And then what are they going to do? Just pan to an empty room? Like, it's just, just to see what it's going to look like. I kind of feel like I'm going to have to watch this thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've been um, uh, Harry a Jet flying over the top of the exactly. performance. And... <laughs> All the pageantry. Is somebody going to sing the national anthem to an empty room? Like, you know what oh, I mean? Like, know oh, that's happening. That's definitely <laughs> happening. And there'll be it's some crazy. country and western star that we've never heard of. <laughs> yeah. The Gronk of country and western, yeah. Yeah, God. Or oh, the Gronk himself, Jesus. But the Gronk himself might do it, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, like I, I think you know, I, I may find myself turning off after a couple of matches, but uh, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm, I'm above watching it and I'm above snarkily. Like if nothing else, the snarky tweets will make it worthwhile, and the Twitter timeline will be very funny that light, I'd imagine. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to try and stay up for like uh, and watch it live and things. But whether I end up nodding off is another matter. But um, I mean, closer to these shows, uh, Wrestle Talk are also doing a live stream this weekend uh, entitled Indie Mania. It's, it's got tons and tons of promotions who've either had to cancel shows over the weekend or, or in the past month or so. I mean, you've got OTT, Red Pro, Eve, Smash, TNT, and tons, tons more. And uh, I think the stream starts around 5 p.m. our time and they're doing it on Saturday and Sunday and it's free on YouTube and then they've got the option to donate via that super chat thing that they did on the No Fans Monday show and then the funds are going to be evenly distributed among the main promotions. So, I mean, I mean, irrelevant what you think of Wrestle Talk, I think that's um, a pretty good idea to be putting on a thing like this this weekend, Benno. Yeah, definitely. That's the first I'd heard of it, to be honest. You're breaking news to me. Um, so is it just like matches, is it? Like pick highlight matches from the different companies and mixed up in um, yeah i'm playlists. assuming it's going to be like a lead into wrestlemania oh. i'm assuming that's going to start like around midnight our time and yeah, then there'll yeah. be a lead in of matches because there are i mean there must be about 25 promotions involved in this thing from the us and over here in europe so i'm assuming that they'll be sending in um i think it'd be interesting to see what matches that either likes or ott and red pro do send in are they, they going to be going with the big guns like walter or david star and uh osprey and zsj from earlier this year oh, or whether they should yeah. Yeah, they definitely should yeah uh, like uh, hopefully it is that and they don't just throw like a load of undercard matches or you know b-show matches that they're not bothered about going out there for free yeah put your best foot forward i don't know 
how many people will watch it. But, you know, we wrestle talk are kind of outside our kind of internet mm-hmm. wrestling bubble, aren't they? But they've got a, a big viewership and listenership. Like, you look at the, the numbers the Osprey show did on YouTube. So, kind of cool that they're, they're using their platform for that. Um, might be something that I'll throw in the background and maybe it can replace my uh, my WrestleMania weekend blues. Uh, I've appreciated that. Though. I think people have been trying, you know, companies like that doing it. Um, Ethan Page is promising some kind of body guy stream coming up. Uh, in replacement for the show he was going to do with, with, I think it was linked up with GCW. I imagine, I think as uh, Ian Hamilton said, it's it's likely going to be like a, him playing on like a, a game of Fire Pro or something like that and reenacting mm. the show. But I appreciate people being creative. Uh, there's lots of like little, you know, Nick Gage has done like a shoot interview with GCW. I think that the debut in that this weekend and even fan created stuff like uh, our mate Alan Farrell last weekend was recreating 2006 WrestleMania weekend uh, and going through like the Ring of Honor shows from the from Detroit and Chicago over the weekend right up onto the uh, the actual show WrestleMania itself. Uh, I appreciate that. At least it's yeah fans and uh, different companies coming together and trying to do some cr- something creative with all the spare time we've all got. Yeah, so yeah, because as much as like we're having to do a retro review this week, um, I mean there have been a few little things from European wrestling. I think Progress is streaming some of the most recent shows on Twitch, and then Andy Q is doing live Q and A's from his kitchen. And um, <laughs> OTT nice kitchen, released a. <laughs> you are sorry. It's a nice looking kitchen, that you know. That, um, oh, I know. <laughs> those, that red pro money's gone pretty far. <laughs> Never mind the new cameras. Uh, Andy Q's kitchen that seems to be it's obviously that's It's very nice though. It is a nice kitchen. You should be very proud. Of it. Uh, <laughs> no on Andy Q's kitchen but um <laughs> and then OTT released a pretty good video didn't they James they stating that they were going to be back thought it was a really well done video that they put together it was yeah I, I like god like it's 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 uh, their video to just kind of reassure fans that everything's going to be okay and and, and I will come back bigger and stronger was nearly better than most videos that most promotions produce to advertise their biggest shows, you know what I mean? Like, it was really well done. It was um, really well shot. It, it, like, there, there was there was one really almost moving point in it where they they filmed the, the, the old markets in the city, in the centre of Dublin city centre, which are, they're like these fruit markets, which are normally completely bustling, like at any point of the day and full of people and street traders, you know, shouting out the prices of their fruit and all that kind of thing with, um, with a kind of an Irish ballad playing in the background. It was really, really beautiful, like, and really, really well done. And as I said, just a kind of a, a sign of the creativity that's there, you know what I mean? And they've also put up some of the, some re, it'd be very interesting for people to look back actually on their video on demand. They put up some of the very, very first shows, like, like Joe Cabrera always had a thing that he wouldn't put shows on VOD. In keeping with the high standards he kind of has about everything, he wouldn't put shows out on VOD until they were of a certain standard and he kind of felt that the very first two or three shows back in 2014 the camera work wasn't as good and they didn't have the sounding right and that kind of thing but as a kind of a little bonus thing there that they put some of those shows up like so you can see a very very young Pete Dunne coming over to rest in Ireland for the first time for OTT and that kind of thing and just really like a session Mott Martina before she was the session Mott like in her original gimmick like that a lot of people might not even be aware of things like that you know what I mean so again something for people to check out and something interesting and it's it's like the companies are instead of battling for ticket sales at the moment they're kind of battling for our VOD purchases aren't they like trying, trying to keep everybody interested and trying to keep that revenue stream going if nothing else you know yeah yeah like you say it seems like um, they're all trying to outdo each other with sort of like older material that they've got lying around and uploading those to her uh, so there's certainly a lot to uh, get your teeth into as a, as a fan but um, 
I mean, sort of just last note on sort of like European wrestling. Um, Jimmy, I've had a, a more of a prominent role on um, AEW recently, Benno, so I... Why? Sorry. Um, yeah, yes. <laughs> Why is the Thinking question? Thinking out loud, though, yeah. <laughs> is he not still in the bin? I thought we put him in the bin a few months ago. Yeah, I thought we were done with well, him. Jimmy. crawled I mean. out. <laughs> that, he always he does look again. like he's crawled out of a bin, to be fair to him. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's, he, I can't believe, like, in the, in the face of, like, a, a worldwide pandemic, Jimmy Abbott managed to get his way back into AEW TV again. Uh, yeah, he had the match with Cody Rhodes where, like, I don't know, but I'm sure there are Jimmy Havoc fans out there, but if you think his deathmatch wrestling's bad, watch him try and chain wrestle. That's all I'll say. Uh, yeah, he was it was just an odd pick as well. Like I morally, like he was like one of the spots he was doing in the match, he was trying to pull Cody Rhodes' tongue out of his mouth. Like, you know, I mean wrestling's bad enough, but do we really need that on TV right now with mm. you know, as as Vince Russo of all people pointed out, Cody Rhodes kissing his wife after the match, shaking Shivani's hands. God, yeah, social distancing definitely isn't a thing in wrestling, is it? But, you know, he got some time on TV, I suppose. Uh, yeah, and I've heard, I mean, it does seem like, I mean, most of the Brits who've maybe witnessed Jimmy Havoc and saw, like, his rise in 2015 and 2016, you know, through to maybe 2016, 2017 is probably where it kind of ended for him as far as being an interest for me in Brit Res, but certainly up to about 2015 and, the you know, the peak progress stuff earlier than that, like, Jimmy Havoc was a thing in Brit Res, and I, you know, I, di- I didn't mind him. But I think, like most Brit Res fans, I'm just kind of sick to the back teeth of it at this point. But it does seem like maybe you know the Americans, the Canadians, mm. aren't quite feeling that way about Jimmy Havoc. They seem to be the Havoc defenders. Who I did see a few people who enjoyed this match with Cody Rhodes, and you know, God bless them. Uh, but not really for me at this point. He's not the uh, yeah the Brit Res wrestler I'd be uh, hoping to see in that that big spot. No, yeah, I, I completely agree there. But I suppose, yeah, while he's over in America, yeah, they can have him. But I mean, another sort of controversial topic this week, and I wanted to bring it up because, um, James, yeah, I don't think you'll have another platform in the next couple of weeks to uh, discuss this one. But this uh, Noah match that very much seems to be the definition of a, a Marmite match is... Um, as you're going to get, but um, I mean, I've not seen it, obviously, but what's the deal? And um, I think you were one of the supporters of it, weren't you? I thought it was great. Yeah, I, I heard the lads on Grapple completely slating <laughs> it on Monday. They weren't Sorry, impressed man. at all. And, and, and Joe Levin was appalled at the even idea of it. I don't think he even he was he was absolutely never going to watch that yeah. thing. But um, my, my view on it would be that, like, um, you know, we, we'll sit here and we'll complain about WWE working empty arena shows exactly the way they normally would. And you know, we say, well, like, can they not adapt? Can they not try something different? And I would see this as them. You know, realizing that they're in a different environment and realizing that, um, you know, they have the freedom in an empty arena to try something that probably wouldn't work in front of a live crowd, shall we say. And for people who haven't seen the match or don't know about it, it's a GHC title match between Go Shiyazaki and uh, Kazuyuki Fujita. And um, the match goes 57 minutes. And the first 30 minutes of the match are literally just the two guys staring each other down. And when you describe it like that, it sounds awful. And it sounds like something you'd never want to watch. But like, yep. uh, I, <laughs> 100%. And you know what? I, I, I honestly don't think there's any bad take on this match. You know what I mean? It, it really is. You're either going to like it or not. I thought it was something completely different, something that nobody has ever tried before. 
it has like we're sitting here talking about pro wrestling Noah. When have we ever talked about pro wrestling Noah on a podcast? You know what I mean? So sure. at a time when you can't get fans in the door and, and it's very difficult to get any like if they just had a normal pure main event that went twenty minutes, you know, the small people in the Noah bubble would watch it, probably like it to a certain extent, and none of us would ever hear about it. But instead it does have the world talking, you know what I mean? And like, I kind of, I was spoiled to some extent before I watched it. So I kind of knew what was coming, but I found myself oddly fascinated by it. I thought it was filmed very well. I thought it was, as I said, it's, it's something different, you know what I mean? And it's kind of using the situation to make a positive out of it. And I don't know. I just, I just found myself buying into the story. It was like Fujita is this kind of, he harks back to the kind of the Inoki days of New Japan. And he's this hard hitting madman, basically. You know what I mean? He's a, he's a brawler. He literally, he shoot punches people. He shoot kicks people in matches. He's very unpredictable. He's the kind of guy that people, like they, they were kind of, I think they were planting the seed that Fujita was the kind of guy who wouldn't do the job to go Shiyazaki. So that they were going to have to do a, a kind of a 60 minute, draw and I think they were teasing that and making you believe that that's what was going to happen but like I just bought into the story of it I, I thought that the stare down was Fujita trying to mentally break Go Shiyazaki and it didn't work and then like the beating that he gives him during the match like he's just, these shoot kicks to the head when he's on the ground these stiff slaps it's like he, he physically tries to break him and he can't do that either you know what I mean and like I just bought into the story of Go Shiyazaki is the guy who kind of holds the centre of the ring and he kind of stares down this invader and kind of it's the first like Koshi Izaki has been the champion in Noah before. And he's kind of a, he's a failed ace, you would call him like he, he had failed as champion before. And they put the title on him after Masaba died and it didn't go well. And it kind of tarnished him for a long time. And after this match, this is the first time I actually looked at Koshi Izaki and thought this guy actually looks like an ace. And he kind of carried himself like an ace in the match. And by surviving this madman who tried to break him physically and mentally, he kind of overcame all these odds and it made him stronger and I just I just bought into the story I suppose you know what I mean and, and like the tag matches they would have had leading up to this match are really good so I was already invested in it a little bit more than somebody who's maybe parachuting in on this match without knowing the backstory and it just worked for me you know what I mean and I applaud people trying something different in this in this environment and like as I said if it gets people talking about pro wrestling Noah who wouldn't normally watch it then you can't say they didn't do their job well you know Wow, you you really sold it to me there, actually, James. It sounds like obviously I've just uh, sort of like, you know, the grapple guys in WH sort of really slagging this match off. But um, yeah, <laughs> you really sold it to me there. It, uh, you'll either love it or hate it. There's no yeah. giving this three stars. You're either going to give it one star or you're going to go well above four. Like I gave it four and a half stars and I kind of think I, I could go higher again. It's, it's at the end of the year. I remember it, you know what I mean, as, as a totally, there will not be another match like this this year, you know what I mean, and to me, like, when wrestling is so homogenized and everything feels like it's the same, I just think when people try to innovate and to use a kind of a very adverse situation and turn it into a positive, I feel like it should be applauded, you know. Yeah. Mm. Whoa. Well, I know, which side were you on? Well, I, I wasn't as extreme as Joe, which is kind of a norm for our podcast, but yeah. <laughs> I'm very much a centrist, Martin. I like to sit on the fence, me. But like, I'd say James is more t- team John and Way, and I'm definitely more team WH. Like, I think for me, if the 30 minutes at the start of Stare Down, if that had been the entire match, I think I'd have been more into it. Because uh, I kind of enjoyed having that on. It was kind of peaceful. You know, it's kind of, I, had, I was on my laptop, <laughs> I was sat on my bed, no commentary, just two lads. <laughs> 
staring at each other. It was kind of like kind of enjoyable. And then yeah, the match just didn't really connect for me. Uh, maybe like James said, not being invested in the product doesn't doesn't help either. But you know, I'll, I'll side with WH. And to me, it was just a match. But I did enjoy the little mini tour of Corrigan and Hall. They took us on. Uh, and like I said, I did enjoy that that first half hour as well. So you know, the way the way fun elements to it. Uh, so yeah, maybe I, I am the one of the people who kind of sits on the middle on it and might be tempted to give it a, a three stars. I've still not rated it on Grapple, to be honest, because it is a really tough one. I've seen five stars it on is, there. Yeah. I've seen one star on there, which kind of talks to what, what James he was saying. Uh, but yeah, I think I think a lot of it, yeah, it does probably depend on uh, on how invested you are. It's maybe not the best match to parachute in on. Well, I know what I'm uh, watching this weekend then. Yeah, I'm really, really intrigued, so I'll uh, definitely be checking that out. But, I mean, um, before we get into the main portion of our show, uh, Andy Ogden's back this week with his uh, regular segment going undergraps to review the PCW Road to Glory weekend that happened on the uh, on the 13th of March, which feels like the 13th of November by <laughs> this point. So, uh, we'll take it away, Andy. Oh, and welcome, everyone, to Going Undergraps. Every day, maybe like Sunday, but here I am to bring you news of what were the dying embers of British wrestling before the coronavirus took over. I will be going through what happened at one of Europe's most prestigious wrestling tournaments in the form of PCW's Road to Glory event in Blackpool and Preston respectively, before mopping up with the latest from TNT Extreme Wrestling and their latest edition in the Ignition Family Friendly series of shows. First off, on Friday the 13th of March and Saturday 14th of March, PCW ran their annual 16-man Roll to Glory tournament with a host of international stars from Mexico, the UK, the US and the Smash Wrestling promotion of Canada, battling it out over two nights to win the tournament, to win also the opportunity at the number one contender's shot at the PCW Heavyweight Championship. On the first night taking place at the Blackpool Tower Circus, some of the highlights in the first round included Tyson Dukes beating Brent Banks via submission in an excellent back-and-forth contest that got over great with the crowd in attendance. Despite them not being too familiar with both wrestlers, they were quick to work out which one, which one to cheer for along the way during the match. In a surprise result, we had the PCW Cruiserweight Champion Leighton Buzzard exiting the tournament after being defeated by Vaughn Vertigo as Smash Wrestling due to outside shenanigans from Buzzard's enemy, AC Striker, who calls the, the distraction finish. In the Battle of the Big Beefy Lads, we had Mexico's Black Taurus, who had impressed the week before in WSW 16 Karat Gold, taking on Northern standout Will Cruz in a match that lived up to the expectations of the people in attendance. From this match, you could see that Cruz would be one of the favourites for the tournament with the way he was being pushed to the crowd over the weekend. A technical masterclass opened up the second half of the show with Russ Taylor of old PWG fame, defeating the current title wrestling champion David Graves with the rings of Saturn to set up a quarter-final encounter with PCW stalwart Shake El Sham in a proper battle of the good-looking fellas. The main event of this show, though, was headlined by non-tournament action that had been built up over a number of, number of months, with the undefeated in PCW, Big T Justice, taking on local favourite Rossi Rascal. Now, Rossi had already attempted twice to defeat Justice to no avail, but with a crowd in attendance providing an atmosphere akin to an Arena Mexico show with air horns, banners and loud chanting of their hero Rossi, 
It will surge him to victory as he judo-tossed three times, including one off the top rope to Big T to get the victory in a match-up. That ticks every box from an entertainment and performance aspect of things. After enjoying the late-night disco in my bed and breakfast, it was time to get on our travels for day two of the tournament taking place at the Reaver Club in Preston. Now, this was a new venue for PCW to run, and on the first showing of the place, it was certainly in my book with quality, um, certainly good in my book with quality priced beer and as much um, chips, peas, and gravy you could have to keep you well topped up whilst the wrestling was going on. Spanning across two shows, we have many highlights to go through from non tournament to tournament action. So let's get into it. On show one of the afternoon, we had the quarterfinals taking place in the tournament with Yestin Reese defeating Von Vertigo and Will Cruz. Defeating Sebastian Suave in a very quick fashion. In a battle of the Greek gods, we had Shake Sham very very much holding his own against his more experienced counterpart, Russ Taylor, as he defeated him with the Shakespeare. In the, fi- in the final quarter-final matchup, we had Tyson Dukes, who had been getting over fantastically as one of the main baddies in the tournament all weekend, defeating Daniel Maccabe with a lariat in what was possibly the best match in the quarter-finals. Moving on to show number three, which could, at the end of the year, go down as one of the best best shows PCW um, will put on. We had the semi-finals and final of the tournament, starting off with Will Cruz, who had the crowd fully behind him, defeating Tyson Dukes with the cruise control Samoan driver to advance. With the other semi-final being contested with Shake Sham taking on Yeston Reese in a match that went all around the venue, Mainly with Shake being bounced around by the muscular Reese, uh, but after much work on the knee by Shake um, to Reese back in the ring, it will be Shake El Sham hitting the Shakespeare for the free to advance to the final to face Mr. Will Cruz. In the final, with Shake making a grand entrance in Eastern-inspired attire and looking a star in the process, he took on the ninety-five percent fan favorite Will Cruz. Shake did have his supporters still hanging on to the buyout years, though, which was the other 5%. In what was a good final, thanks to Big T Justice getting involved, which in turn balls it all up for Elsham, it will be Will Cruz hitting the cruise control to become the Road to Glory tournament winner, and in turn earning a title shot at a later date for whom we found out earlier in the evening who he would face. With CJ Banks challenging the champion Joy Ace, who was defending the title for a 10th time, which sent alarm bells ringing as PCW announcer for the evening, Greg Lambert, announced this. In what will be the, quite the controlling performance, it will be CJ submitting Hayes with his own finisher to capture the PCW Championship to start a new era for the belt. A couple of notes away from the tournament, though, and the um, also the title change, um, with the impression of a certain... Psycho Mike of the Smash Wrestling promotion made over the weekend from being an unknown on night one. By night three, he had everyone in the palm of his hands with his shouts of whether people wanted a body slam, of all things. This was very much akin to Yearn Simmons' debut in PCW uh, a few years ago for the World Wrestling Championships, uh, where an unknown made a name for themselves, and by the looks of it, he's making a return in audience with, with Tyson Dukes, who also impressed uh, for PCW. The final match to note from what was a successful weekend for PCW was the sub-10-minute ambition-style match between Daniel McCabe and Russ Taylor, which, even though this wasn't on paper a match suited to a family-friendly audience, 
these two lads had everyone engrossed in what was occurring in the ring. With Rust eventually getting the rings of Saturn submission win. Same possibly the best wrestling match of the weekend. So, what a weekend it was. And if you were interested, you will be able to catch nearly all of these matches on PCW's Fight Network show in the UK. And also on YouTube where they do put their weekly shows on there. PCW are due to return in May with an all-women's show. But everything as ever is up in the air at the moment. So, if not then, it'll be some time after that. Finally, I visited TNT Extreme Wrestling in Liverpool on Sunday the 15th of March for the, for the next in their ignition series of shows and what would be the final live UK show for many in attendance. Highlights from the show included a really good women's match between Jade and local favourite Alexis Falcon in a back-and-forth contest with Jade getting the shot victory out of nowhere on Alexis Boom was in control of the match after a jetpack driver. In tag team action, which you can view on TNT's YouTube channel, we had a much more cockier version of the Young Guns, Luke Jacobs and Ethan Allen, defeating the team of Chuck Mambo and TK Cooper, escaping the mid-card, after Ethan Allen booted TK in the cock, leaving them to feed on the scraps of Mambo for the win. The Young Guns in this role could be very interesting to see later in their careers. We had a match for the Ultra X title with Kid Lycos 2 facing off against British wrestling legend Dean Allmark in a properly good athletic contest with Allmark still showing he can still keep up with the with his younger adversary. Sadly though for Dean, he would fall to the brain buster from Lycos number 2 who retains his Ultra X title. In the main event, we had TNT Ignition champion Sonna Derson defeating Chris Ridgway with a frog, frog splash in a competitive main event matchup that went around 15 minutes. After the match, we had Cameron Solis, for whom earlier in the evening defeated Craig West, trying to cash in his number one contendership. But Derson was wise to this as he skedaddled away into the Liverpool night to end the show, and wrestling as we know it in the UK till at least May at the earliest. As ever, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this review of both PCWs, and TNT's recent offerings. And if you want to hear more reviews, check out my podcast, Graps and Claps Audio, where I've currently started doing some retro reviews of old shows, what I've been watching like everyone else, from WCW WrestleWall 92, Halloween Havoc 93, Uncensored WCW 1996 with the Doomsday Cage match. Oh, that was a tough watch. And Riptide Wrestling's Blackwater 2017. Uh, you can check all these out via all good podcast providers, including now Spotify. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Ogipart3. That's O-G-G-Y-P-A-R-T-3. So until next time in the future, I shall say goodbye. Goodbye. And thanks again to Andy. I know he's been doing what a lot of us have recently, uh, delving back through the WCW archive. Uh, I mean... By the way, Ben, I've been humming or whistling that 1994 Rick Rude theme song for the past uh, two weeks. Such a brilliant tune that I just can't get out of my head. Oh, it's one of the best ever. Yeah, he's simply ravishing. It's so great. It's like, if you really, like, his WWF theme was pretty much perfect. Like, the 
the the porno kind of you know 80s sleazebag theme that he'd come out to and cut his promo but yeah i think they actually outdid themselves one of the few times in wcw i'd say where they really outdid themselves on a custom theme it's a classic i've got that in my head and we did like i think i used for the outro this week on grapple i used the pn news's theme after we talked so <laughs> much about pn news uh, on that podcast we did with you and that uh, that theme and the yo baby yo baby yo's uh, in my head as well it's been a but it has been a great time yeah to go back and uh and watch this old stuff and uh, that podcast was a was a hell of a time to do with you martin um, it was great it's funny really because good, I, guys fantastic thank, thanks james we really appreciate it it's funny because with that theme tune i put it on um me and my wife from my container i was like oh there's a wrestling theme tune that's actually really good and i put it on in the kitchen she was like yep Okay. I was like, oh, this is just me then. You probably need to know who Rick Rude is, don't you, for that yeah. to uh, yeah. If you showed her a picture, it might be more apparent, yeah. yeah were, were you maybe. a 90s WCW fan, James? Were you living through it like uh, like JP and Martin were? Yeah, I was I was listening to you guys talking about it and I very much line up with like there was so many times when Joe was talking I was nodding my head in agreement mm-hmm. I, I saw very little, if any WCW in the moment um, I remember briefly seeing it on ITV but like I, I was kind of a child of the WWF I suppose or WWE at the time and in my head it was inferior mm. you know that kind of a way and now you know and I had nothing to base that on it was just I was believing what I was told when I watched WWF I suppose you know yeah. um, and like all of my WCW viewing was done by tapes from eBay um, same as Joe, you know, going on there when tapes were almost going out of fashion and nabbing tapes for two or three euro and getting them sent to me when I finally got a credit card when I left college and that kind of thing. So, like, I, I would have watched most of my WCW probably in the kind of the period between maybe 2003 and 2006. I was binging all that stuff on tapes and that kind of thing. And I was I was also kind of heavily into uh trading dvds mm. so i like you, you could tra- you would be able to get from another trader a season or a year of nitro so you'd you'd kind of you'd 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 trade your year of nitro for like you'd have 95 and you trade them for 96 and that kind of thing and you, you'd get this big spindle in the post of maybe 20 or 30 dvds with all the nitros on it and that kind of thing you know and i still have them there you know i, I think they're they're a nice thing to keep because what you don't get on the network is the ad breaks yes. and some of the music that they've changed and that kind of thing you know what i mean so i have all those in the press there they're kind of little collector's items at this stage you know what i mean and like the, the problem with them is the visual quality is so much inferior to the to the network you know what i mean so it's a kind of a trade-off between the two but like it's really funny to just watch those old american ads back now like these tv ads from the 90s for the likes of toys or us and all these like you know what i mean and, and the, the, the medical companies and that kind of thing but yeah so like i, I very much would have watched this kind of um after the time and a little project i've started doing actually um in these times of no wrestling is i've just started watching nitro from day one again um and what i'm doing actually is watching the monday night wars unfold so i'm watching the raw and nitro from the same night alternating between those and just watching the whole thing through watching the pay-per-views if i can get my hands on the observer from the time reading that for that week as well and kind of reading the background it's, it's really interesting now when i know so much you know the way you've read so much about the monday night wars and seen yeah. all the documentaries and really interesting to go back now like and to see bischoff making his you know giving his spoilers on the first night of on the second night of nitro for what's happening on wwf and all that like it's just anyway when you know about it now and watch it back it's a really nice kind of easy way to watch wrestling and put it on in the background. You're not, you're not really giving star ratings with this stuff. You know what I mean? You're just kind of watching it as an interested observer. Like, and it's, it's been a very nice way to pass the time actually, I have to say. 
Yeah, and plus when the, the episodes are only like an hour, two hours oh, long in the early say, days, yeah. aren't they as well? Oh yeah, yeah. It's forty minutes on yeah. the network. They'll be forty because with the ads cut out and everything, oh, yeah. you can last you. So in, in two or three hours, you could get through three or four of them. Oh. Like you know what I mean? And they're both like raw is the same. It's only forty minutes on the network as well. Like so, it's just really easy to watch. You know, I, I'd kind of forgotten because when it was on over here and it was on TNT, Nitro stayed an hour for years, didn't it? We just get like mm. the, even when it expanded to two and three hours. I think I think eventually we got a two-hour version, but even when it was two hours we got like a a one hour edited version and that's the thing to watch out for james because i did the same thing a few years ago just the nitros i didn't do the roars as well and it was such an easy fun watch and it does come a point where nitro turns into two hours then it yes. gets a bit more difficult <laughs> yeah. and god help yeah, you when it turns <laughs> if you get as far as it going three hours that's when it's really tough to get through again but yeah. those early yeah. one hour nitros are just such an easy watch yeah kind of jealous yeah maybe i'll uh, go back and do that myself it's great fun even though it's the dungeon of doom and it's absolute <laughs> shite some of it like it's it's just it's just i'm not watching it to watch good wrestling i'm just watching yeah. it for entertainment I, i'm just an amused observer it's nice to kind of take a break from the spreadsheet almost and just put the feet up and just watch without being critical almost in that kind of way <laughs> yeah and there's some really good stuff especially around 97 in those nitros as well i mean there's a lot of dross on there as well isn't there but um yeah there is some really good stuff in, in 97 nitro i don't know quite where you're up to yet jamesy Oh, I, I'm still in 95, like, but like, even at that, like, there was a match you guys, uh, Joe mentioned it briefly, um, it was the opener to Wrestle War 95, I think it was, um, where it's Pillman against Johnny B. Bad, uh, and they go 30 minutes. That's mm-hmm. really great. Like, it just completely took me by surprise. It was a match that I think I knew about and had vaguely heard about, and I'm watching it thinking this will be a 10-minute opener, and it just keeps going, it keeps going, it keeps going, and... You know, when do you get a 30-minute opener to a pay-per-view? You know what I mean? Uh, like, you know, people sneered about Johnny B. Bad. I kind of think he was good. You know what I mean? I, you know, he wasn't amazing. Like, But I kind of have a bit of a soft spot for him. I think he was actually a very good wrestler. Maybe get back to me when I get two or three years into this, and I might be so so enthusiastic about him. Yeah. If you get round to like heel, marvelous Mark Merrow as like the boxer, that's my that's my period for him that I'm that I'm a fan of. But yeah, can't say I was a Johnny B. Bad by myself. But maybe we're missing out, Martin. Maybe we missed out. Yep. <laughs> we'll, have to, uh, we'll have to do what James is doing and go back through those uh, old Raws and Nitros. But um, I mean. Everyone seems to be looking back, you know, because there's no mod- no not much modern wrestling on at the minute. But everyone seems to be going back into the archive, and uh, we're doing the same today because obviously, hard, hard, nothing's happening in British wrestling, and um, and it's the perfect time to review this show with it happening uh, 15 years ago in March, uh, the Wrestling Channel's uh, Super Show International Showdown, and uh, me and Benno were there live for it, and James is uh, caught up with it being uh, available for free on YouTube. But, um, I mean, before we go into the event itself, I wanted to talk about the wrestling channel. Uh, I mean, precursor to this, there's a, a fantastic set of interviews with uh, Sean Herbert, who was the creator and owner of the channel. Uh, he did with Alan Cunahan over at the PW Torch uh, last year, I think it was, that uh, well worth going out of your way to check out. Because... Um, on there, he talks about uh, the channel itself, launched in 2004, and it was nestled in among the other sports channels on the Sky Guide, and apparently he came up with the idea just chatting about it with his mate and having no, absolutely no TV experience whatsoever, decided to make it a reality. And I mean, 
when this thing first started, it was absolutely loaded with content. You had New Japan on there, Noah, Old World of Sports stuff, TNA, CZW, ROH. I mean, it was like a dream come true for fans like us back in the early 2000s, Benno. Oh, definitely. Like, uh, if you, I think most kids were kind of, well, maybe they weren't the same. Maybe, maybe I'm a unique specimen, but I remember being a kid and drawing on, like, the back of, like, my, my school books. Like, there were two things I once, I kind of thought, when I'm growing up, what I'm going to do? One of them was a, opening a wrestling shop, and I'd draw, like, these blueprints of all the different stuff I'd sell in my, <laughs> in my fictional wrestling shop. And then number two, which might be a bit more common, because, uh, yeah, I never quite put that one to life, was a, was a wrestling channel. And I'd, I'd, I'd literally draw for like a little schedule for myself of what to be on, uh, you know, between ECW and WCW and the WWF. Uh, don't think my, my fandom went as far as Japan at that point. So Lord knows, I was filling the rest of the schedule. But it was always something like as a kid, I thought, ah, oh, that'd be great. That if there was like a channel that just showed wrestling. Um, and yet it's like a, I think it's a big, you know, it's a big point in like if you want to like chart British and Irish wrestling fan- fandom because let's not forget, you know, the channel was was coming from Ireland. Uh, Sean Herbert, who ran it, was uh, was based in Dublin. Uh, like this was this was something that I think has had a big effect on you know where people became fans of non WWE style wrestling. Like I was already you know way into collecting my Ring of Honor tapes and watching a bit of CZW and obviously watching Impact as well. But I think for a lot of people you talk to. The channel just being there, available on Sky, you know, in the listing. Was it like Channel 427 or something like that? Am I making that up? Yeah, sure something like that. Yeah, yeah, it was just after the Sky Sports yeah. channel. Yeah, that's it. I can't believe I still remember that. But yeah, that, you know, that that's that it was right there. And it meant that, like, yeah, fans who maybe have gotten a bit sick of WWF, you know, after the Monday Night Wars and after it had gotten a little bit stale, were able to see, you know, the likes. You know, it, was the first, it was the first place that ever broadcast TNA in this country. You know, and people got to see the likes mm-hmm. of AJ Styles, Chris Daniels, Samoa Joe, when he eventually made the jump and see classic Ring of Honor and see classic uh, CZW as well. So, yeah, I think it's got, it's, got a, it's got a lot to answer for. I think I think a lot of, like, the, the more hardcore fans you speak to now maybe graduated to be big Brit Res fans I think a lot of people would maybe chart the start of that to, to the wrestling channel coming on there and like I say even though I was kind of already a fan like the fact that I could just throw the telly on and watch some random stuff from Noah or you know if I wanted to you know watch some random retro stuff it was just yeah we didn't know we were born at that point it was just unbelievable that this channel was there and was uh, available for mass consumption and they were showing older stuff like the Super J Cup, and it was really good not seeing it off a fifth-generation copy and the, <laughs> the quality of it, wasn't it, James? You've seen these like old shows that you've seen before and, and actually seen them in really good quality for the first time. Yeah, that that was the thing. Like because like Ben or like because was us be, being slightly older. Like I, I was already in on the whole tape thing, and I was already like I knew about ROH from close enough to the start of it. I knew about the FWA and that kind of thing. I was listening to Talk Sport and to Tommy Boyd's show with Alex Shane and that kind of thing. And it was it was that thirst for footage and knowledge that we kind of, you know, I, I think we, there's a, there's a, you know, definitely younger fans these days are very much spoiled. Like, like you, you know, we're talking about all the stuff that's available to watch this weekend even. Even though all the shows in in Florida are cancelled, there's so much stuff available at people's fingertips. Mm. And like we didn't have that back in the day. You had to go out of your way to get these tapes in. So for there suddenly to be a channel on the TV that you could turn on 
24-7 and there was wrestling on. You know what I mean? It was just an amazing thing. And like, you know, you talk about the channel 427, that there's two numbers that are drilled into my brain from my youth and you guys <laughs> mentioned it on Grapple. 302 on BBC Teletext or CFAX, <laughs> wasn't it? Where you get your football scores and your football news and 427 mm. on the Sky Remote. They're the two numbers like they're always, I'll never forget them, you know what I mean? And that, that, that sums up my youth almost, you know what I mean? That, that they're the numbers I remember in terms of getting the two, getting information and getting to watch the things I loved and like I just to echo what you said Martin like definitely as an accompaniment to this podcast people should seek out Alan's two interviews with Sean Herbert because like the story behind like you would imagine that this channel was set up by people who knew what they were doing and who were maybe TV executives who had experience in the world of, of TV production this was a guy just a student sitting in his sitting room with his friend who thought, God, wouldn't it be cool if we could watch shoot interviews all day and watch wrestling all day? And like he literally rang Sky Sports, like the, the Sky Sports desk where you get your subscriptions from and quizzed the lady on the phone and said, what would I need if I have to set up a TV channel? You know what I mean? That was the level he was at. And for it to go from that to actually being this channel, that's definitely, like you said, Benno, really shaped the next 15 years of, of, of British wrestling. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it ushered in a, a group of fans who were knowledgeable about wrestling from all over the world. And like a lot of the fans who got into wrestling through the wrestling channel are the ones who kind of stuck with it and who kind of have stuck with it through thick and thin. And even when this kind of, you know, this British wrestling boom is over, they're still the hardcore fans that I kind of look to. You know what I mean? The old school ones that are our age who kind of grew up with the wrestling channel. Yeah, because, I mean, sadly, it was 2004 New Japan we were watching, so not the good stuff we're used to now. I think, you know, think Bob Sapp. But, uh, I mean, Noah was awesome at the time, wasn't it? You had Misawa, Kabashi, oh, Kenta, yeah. Marafuji. I mean, definitely one of the best times to be watching Noah, I thought, Benno. Oh, definitely. And they did a great job of making it accessible to an international fan. It was Mo Chatra, wasn't it, doing the voiceovers on it? Yeah. Uh, and just giving that little bit of background, uh, the kind of, like, doing his snooker voice. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it commentary but it was nice introduction uh, to everything that was on there and yeah you know like getting to see that stuff without having to take trades like that that was what that was a beauty uh, of the channel and yeah you know Masawa's still you know maybe not past his prime but getting to see him there and getting to see like a relatively up-to-date stuff leading to you know this international showdown show that we're about to talk where you know you could you know, i think most fans would know the legends but i think even more people in that building for international showdown were familiar with him familiar you know with with, with doug williams and scorpio as a tag team and familiar with maybe just pro wrestling Noah as an entity more because of the channel and yeah the fact that pro wrestling knows on tv in this country during its its peak years it doesn't even sound like it's something real at this point no, I know, because, um, I mean, as well as the Japanese stuff, I mean, closer to home, they also had uh, weekly TV shows from the likes of uh, FWA, uh, Irish Whip Wrestling and 1PW. I mean, matches were good, but um, I, I don't have the best memories of these shows, uh, James. I mean, bad production on the 1PW stuff and then just Alex Shane mugging around in storylines and FWA. Was this something that uh, you were checking out? Oh, yeah, and especially, like, you know, the OTT thing is, is big, now in Ireland and like so many fans so many younger fans have had that experience through OTT say that I had through the wrestling channel and through Irish Whip Wrestling where there's a lot of people who started off as casual independent fans who now know say through OTT who Minoru Suzuki is who you know Kojima came over and that kind of thing they, they know who New Japan wrestlers are you know like I remember having a conversation with Alan Forel and we, we it was after the stadium show 
that um, that Minoru Suzuki had appeared on, and two thousand people roaring out Kaze Nina Ray. And I remember Alan turning to me and kind of saying, "God, like there was a time in Dublin where you could probably count on one hand the amount of people who knew who Minoru Suzuki was." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, like in in the same way that OTT for a lot of fans of this decade was the gateway the wrestling channel and Irish Whip Wrestling as well was the gateway like Irish Whip Wrestling was when you look back on it somebody should really try and get their hands on that footage now like because we had all kinds of people we had Go Shiyazaki who we just talked about there in the NOAA main event we had a young Go Shiyazaki in black trunks come over to Dublin and do a little tour over here like I think it was 2006 I paid an obnoxious taxi fare to go out to a very, very small venue in Balbriggan in Dublin to see him wrestle. Uh, we had Raven over. We had the Dragon Gate guys over. We had a young pack over. You know, and it was that, that Irish Whip Wrestling show. Like, when you think of the people who came from that, Drew Galloway, Seamus, um, Stu Sanders, all these guys would have come from that show, and that would have been their first TV experience. And you talk about um, the wrestling channel being a kind of a thing where people blagged it. Apparently, that Irish Whip Wrestling show was the same thing. Like it was, it was just a load of young wrestlers and people who'd never even held a camera before, and they somehow managed to put this TV show together every week. It's just, it's pure wrestling, really. Like young people just kind of winging it and having a few money, having a few quid made available to them from a wrestling channel, and somehow cobbling together this TV show. Like, And I know a lot of it is up on YouTube, but like, definitely if somebody started putting that footage up, it would be amazing to look back on. You know what I mean? A, a young Seamus O'Shaughnessy 15 years ago, like, you know oh what I mean? It looked at what he went on to do in wrestling. You know what I mean? Yeah. It would be fascinating footage. A, a skinny Drew Galloway with none of the muscle on him that he has now, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> just, just crazy to think that that was here in Dublin even 15 yeah. years ago. And again, mainly because of the wrestling channel you know yeah it was my first like uh, uh, I don't know first time I saw Seamus like I, it still sticks out to me like every I think the thing with with, uh, with TWC was like they'd struggle sometimes to sell ads so you'd always get that CZW ad with like the British wrestlers singing the theme song yeah. and you'd always get that Seamus advert like that come with me I think is the end of line on it I, I'm Seamus O'Shaughnessy and come with me something like that and it always stuck out yeah. and I reckon he probably paid for the time or they did him a favour but it genuinely got his name out there like ever since then I was oh, like yeah. yep I know Seamus O'Shaughnessy was when he signed for WWE I knew that name and I knew who he was um, and yeah I think, you know, it's worth his weight in gold really and, and, you know I, I, Irish whips are a fond memory for me from watching the channel the, the bagpipe report I know uh, I think real quality wrestling were on there for a little while and there was a fair amount of Seamus and Wade Barrett and Drew Galloway I felt like every week it was Seamus versus Drew Galloway pretty much the uh, the two tall lads uh, would always be the main event but you know it was, it, while the, those companies probably weren't making a huge amount of money uh, from from those from the channel itself as far as you know getting their names out there and, you know, a, a Seamus getting his name out there. It was uh, it was definitely good publicity. You know, LDN was on there at a point, wasn't it, with the with them trying yeah. to bring the round stuff back as well. Uh, yeah, it was just, you know, it, it gets remembered maybe for the for the bigger name stuff like the Noah stuff, but they definitely had a go at putting Brit Res and Irish stuff on there. I think, I think I don't know if you mentioned it on the podcast, uh, but I know Sean Herbert mentioned on the UK Fan Forum before that at one point he was looking at literally starting his own Brit Res company. Like, he wanted to start a Brit Res company where one, it was filmed properly, and two, it was dealt with professionally. And apparently, they got as far as crunching all the numbers, bringing in a booker, you know, working with you know with, with proper TV people. But they, I think they realised just the costs were too much, and they were never going to make any money out of it. But they did definitely make an effort to try and highlight British and, and Irish stuff, and, and highlight some local guys to go with a lot of those big names. Well, you mentioned there the bagpipe report. I used to love that show. I thought. Um... 
you know, it was like a regular talk wrestling talk show on a Saturday, wasn't it? And, mm. you know, we had wrestling guests on and was a ton of fun. I had, actually had a chance to chat to Blake Norton a few years back, and he had, he had such an interesting background, obviously, originally from Ireland. Then he, he moved over to America, and uh, I think he became the editor of a... Uh, um, wow wrestling magazine for a while and then I think he was on a he did a really in-depth in interview with Macho Man Randy Savage for IGN and then he, he went and moved into the Hart family house and trained at the dungeon for a while and then came back and presented this this show on the wrestling channel so yeah really interesting guy and I used to uh I used to really enjoy that show but that was one of the other things that um I mean it was really good in its first few years wasn't it but then in the last few years of its existence it relied mainly on reruns and MMA stuff and nowhere near as good as the first few years. I don't know. Obviously, that might have been because they were losing too much money and they wanted to, you know, start making money or whatever. I'm not really sure. And obviously, they eventually sold it to the Fight Network in 2007, who subsequently closed it in 2008. So not around for a very long time, but certainly had um, a, a, a really good influence on people, Jamesy. Oh, absolutely. Like, And you talk about, about the bagpipe report, and like, you know, it for a lot of us, it was the precursor to the wrestling podcast, I suppose, in a way. You know what I mean? And we're sitting yeah. here now, 14, 15 years later on a podcast, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. for a lot of people, that was the formative kind of first exposure to podcasts and that kind of thing. And like it wasn't Brian Alvarez who was a regular guest on us and that kind of thing. Pretty sure for a lot of us, that was the first time we'd ever heard of him as well. You know what I mean? And things like that. And it became our gateway then to becoming maybe observer subscribers and that kind of thing and subscribing when, when those two websites merged and that kind of thing. So it's so many ways like it's it shaped the type of fans we are today you know what I mean and, and it's, it's just to think about how short-lived it was but like I wonder where British and Irish wrestling would be if it hadn't been a thing you know what I mean like would Irish whip wrestling have had got any exposure apart from being in GA halls in Ireland where would Seamus O'Shaughnessy be you know what I mean like it's 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 crazy like the way this this one idea that one guy had exploded into this you know and like you even think about streaming services now like you know what i mean and streaming services are kind of you look at the high spots network is kind of the modern equivalent of the wrestling channel where you can mm. go on there and look at shoot interviews and you know it all comes from that you know so massively massively influential uh, and a hugely important part of everybody's fandom i think well because their uh, super show international showdown came uh, just after the channel launched uh, didn't it in 2005 when uh According to the interview that Alan did, uh, surprise, surprise, Alex Shane got in the ear of, uh, <laughs> of Sean and said, wouldn't it be a good idea if you ran a show with a bunch of talent that features on your channel? And I suppose, you know, before we get into the show itself, uh, let's talk about this venue, the Coventry Sky Dome, which has become, you know, quite the promised land for British wrestling in over the past sort of few years. Um I think it's easy to see why, because it holds around three and a half thousand, so it's um, not the full commitment of, say, an eight to ten thousand arena, but it's a step up from, you know, a nightclub or a leisure centre. So it's quite easy to see why uh, Brit Rest people want to run there. And I think, uh, as much as I'm not a fan of Coventry, we're pretty well situated, <laughs> well situated for transport. But um, I mean. Um, and Benno, we can't talk about this without... Um, I think it was the first indie promoter who fancied running it. You've got to go back to uh, 2001 when a, a gentleman by the name of Ryan Hewson came up with the idea for a show entitled Wrestle Express. Um, this being 2001, Express was spelt with an X. Of course it was. Um, <laughs> I mean, and this had just 
this show just became synonymous with British wrestling. The guy promised the world and delivered nothing, advertising the likes of Rob Van Dam, Eric yeah. Bischoff, guys from Choyamon and a host of British names. Um, I mean, none of this happened, of course. Um, and I've got to say, I was totally naive to uh, British wrestling back at that time, and I did uh, naively buy a ticket for that show. I mean, Benno was something, was Wrestle Express something that was on your radar around 2001 time? No, sadly not. Only something retrospectively I've read about. Like, I read about, you know, the promoter making, like, he booked Jimmy Hart and Sonny Ono, which I'm sure that was going to happen, definitely, 100%. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Sonny Ono, that's justification of yeah, the Shatter. <laughs> and I think he booked himself as a manager, like, he booked himself as a manager as well. Like, it, you know, I'm probably going to mention the UK fan forum a lot of times on this podcast, but uh, I think his name his name of the forum, Ian Andrew at Dice Clay, he did like a whole thread about Wrestle Express and just how hilarious it, like how actually bad it was. And it was basically just some teenager in his bedroom trying to put on mm. this big show and trying to bluff his way to it. And if that sounds like a familiar story, it's because he was a trendsetter and it happened about 15 times since. Probably 150, <laughs> probably 150 times since though, Britt Rose, wasn't it? But yeah, I, I've forgotten, was it Coventry Sky Dome? He was trying to run was it for that for that first show i'd forgotten yeah that. it was yeah oh what a um, white whale yeah. just kind of overcame it well, because after that, um, I think FWA ran the British oh. Uprising 3 show at the, at there in 2004 with their usual roster, and they even had uh, AJ Styles and Terry mm. Funk on there, but I've only taken... half filled it. Yeah, and apparently they made um, a huge loss, loss on that one. Yeah, I had the ticket for that one. That was kind of the... I mean, I'd go to the Wrestling Channel show no matter what, but yeah, me and my mate bought tickets to British Uprising 3 on the back of AJ Styles being there. It was him against James Ty in the main event. And we got the we got the National Express up from Liverpool. Our our genius plan was that we get the National Express up in the afternoon, which for some reason at that time took about five hours. We'd go to mm-hmm. the show and then we didn't have enough money for a hotel, so we'd book a three in the morning National Express bus back home. And then on the way down there there was a crash on the motorway and we missed the entire show. We spent like about oh, no. ten hours <laughs> oh, no. on the bus. I think we were I can't remember where we were transferring, but basically we got to the National Express station and there must have been maybe twenty minutes left on the show. And that's when we finally got made our, our way to Coventry. And it was just like we were there, it was probably about almost eleven o'clock at night. We were just like, Well, we've now got to wait for our National Express at three in the morning home. I didn't see a minute of the show. I've still got the ticket somewhere that I've that I've kept. Uh, didn't see a minute of the show. Got to see a little bit of Coventry's nightlife, so at least there's that. Not much, uh, not much to write up about, though. Unfortunately, I remember going bowling. I think that's what we did to uh, to fill the time. We had a couple of beers and we came home. I, was, oh, I remember just being so gutted about that. That would have been my very first Brit Res show. Uh, maybe aside from you know a, a one-off All Star show, I think I'd been to a couple of years before, but certainly the you know, the first quote-unquote internet show I planned to go to so yeah sad about that but at least I got to uh, make up for it uh, with the wrestling channel as as Alex Shane did because I don't think that FWA show did particularly brilliantly on attendance well um, did you manage to catch it after then did you ever manage to see the show on tape or anything never seen it you know maybe that's an idea right maybe we should uh, go back and watch that at some point no I've not seen a minute of it so uh, I wonder but maybe maybe I've seen the main event uh, I can kind of picture that at some point maybe the wrestling channel showed it or something but i can't remember seeing the rest of it anyway yeah so i mean it must have been a huge risk for sure not only putting on that show but also um, you know the thought of losing money on it because i mean having only just started the channel and with the fwa show in recent memory it must have been a big risk for them but obviously the event was a huge success and he sell out with a uh, three and a half thousand and thousand fans in attendance and uh 
I mean, Benno, have you heard of this event um, through Power Slam and, and word of mouth and things like that? Yeah, I expect so. It would have been Power Slam and obviously the the adverts on the wrestling channel itself. Uh, I think mainly I was excited to go down there and go to the meet and greet and meet my uh, my favourite ROH stars. You should have seen the state of me on this day, Martin. I'm sure you can imagine it. <laughs> Head to toe. The joke we always make on Grapple, I literally did have... My, I'll, I'll dig a photo out. I have my ROH hat on. I have my, my favorite <laughs> ROH t-shirt on. I have my ROH Japan jacket on. Like I could not be, have been more Mister ROH at this point in time. So I think that was the uh, the biggest sales pitch for me. Well, that I didn't get to uh, maybe meet CM Punk and uh, Samoa Joe and the likes. Uh, well, I wasn't decked head to toe in ROH stuff. I can't imagine my fashion was any better because <laughs> I went. It was at the Jack's nightclub next door, wasn't it? it was, and uh, yeah. I just remember it being absolutely packed with fans and just the wrestlers dotted around the venue selling merch and taking pictures with no queuing system at all. It was just <laughs> a pile on it. I overheard Chris Daniels describing it as a day of the dead. But um, <laughs> funny because I remember ROH had a stall, didn't they? Um, and I remember as soon as sort of like the thing opened, you could just hear CM Punk loudly exclaiming that you should buy any merch from him because ROH weren't giving him a, a good cut on the merch. So I found that... <laughs> Quite Sounds like CM Punk, yeah. I think he was on yeah. one that day because I, I with a back then we had a thing these kids won't understand, but it was called disposable cameras, and I had like yeah. a disposable <laughs> camera with me. I got a picture with Joe Foley, AJ Daniels, and I got one with Punk, and it was like after his. I think it was during Foley's Q and A, so he wasn't mm. really in the mood for taking any photos. But I think he just looked me up and down in my ROH gear and felt bad for me and took the photo. <laughs> And unfortunately, the worst thing is, like, back, you know, those things were gold dust. I, had, I think I ended up with about 10 photos left on my thing. So I took it on a took it on a night out, that disposable camera, and lost it in the Barracuda and the oh, I never got those photos. It's, it's a sickener. I've got one with Daniels because it was a Polaroid picture. But, yeah, that one with Punk that he was gracious enough to uh, to give me. And I haven't got I'd kill for that. Like, I always hope that one day I'll, somehow I'll go through an old box of my house and I'm having it there or something. Or I, I, I literally went, I think I went back to that that nightclub about four or five times in the weeks after going has anyone handed it in yet has anyone handed it in yet <laughs> no was never getting that back though really real sad one to lose those memories oh no i think i've got a few photos knocking around i think my mate was quite snap happy on that day because i remember it sort of like it was boiling there and then we came out and we were like oh let's go and get some food and um remember that restaurant chain old orleans and we went around the corner from there and they had a massive queue like and we we got to the queue at the front and uh punk and aj was was stood in front of us and i was like and my mate you know uh, still hang out with him to this day but he, he's not one for like staying quiet and the waitress came up and went oh i'm really sorry there's no tables available and he was like what not even for aj styles and cm punk and this poor <laughs> girl was like uh are these famous and ran off and whisked the table for him and i was like oh, oh come God. on let's just go to burger king or something <laughs> well, i was like oh well at least he got them a table but embarrassed <laughs> me in the uh <laughs> brilliant yeah, um, but yeah, great. I, I enjoyed that. Got a load of autographs and stuff. And it's worth noting as well, because obviously he's been over here tons and tons and done these tours and Q&As and stuff like that. But Mick Foley was a big draw for this show for a lot of people, weren't he? Because he, it was like new and fresh and you'd not really seen him done sort of like these indie shows and stuff before, had you? 
yeah, my, one of my mates who came with me, like, he didn't have a clue Samoa Joe was. He didn't have a clue CM Punk was. I think he was vaguely familiar with the TNA guys, but again, I think this is the point where TNA was on the wrestling channel. I don't know if there was elsewhere to watch it. Foley mm. made it legit, didn't he? Foley was a real... He was like this. It was like that in ROH, wasn't he, James, when he turned up there? It was almost like he made... Oh, yeah. it, was like, it was like a seal of, appro- of approval. He made it feel legitimate, like uh, Foley out on the Indies at this point. And there's, there's a funny story on Alan's podcast as well where um, um, Sean Herbert was, was trying to book the flights for Foley, but he left it too late. And part of Foley's contract for the show was that um, he would be given business class um, flights over and back. And um, But they left it too late. And these seats, it was going to be like 600 quid to fly him in economy. And it was going to be something like seven grand to put him in business class. And um, the solution they came up with was um, Sean Herbert rang Foley's agent and said, look, I can't afford these 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 flights like you know that that's seven grand down the drain. I, I, you know margins are very tight, and he he cut a deal with Foley where they give Foley three grand extra um, to sit in. <laughs> economy. And of course, you know you know the stories about Foley like he he rents the cheapest cargo and like and fill it with people and split the petrol with people even when he was a top star in WWE. Of course, Mick Foley was going to take three grand in cash to sit in economy. No problem at all to him. Like amazing. <laughs> What's that story, Benno? I think that was from the UK fan forum as well, where they came backstage and Bill Apter said, "Who wants the Who wants the honour of buying lunch for Mick Foley or something?" Oh my God! Yeah, that, I think that was a one. Who, who went for it? Wasn't it one of the wrestlers? I'm sure it was. I've definitely seen that story somewhere. Everyone's a carny, aren't they? At this point, everyone's uh, trying to find a way to make a, a little bit of money. I, I just always found that quote amusing. Who wants the honour of buying Mick Foley? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know um, we'd all go for it, though. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Especially around that time period, definitely. It'd be taking him to Old Orleans. But, um, I mean, this. Um, I mean, it's one thing we should mention before, because obviously these sort of super shows didn't happen like they did and do now. And, I mean, this was a huge time for uh, indie wrestling fans like us to have a show like this with all these guys on it. And, I mean... Um, I don't know where you were sat for the show, Benno, but I was sat right at the top of the dome, and I don't think there was a bad view anywhere in that building, really. Yeah, similar to you. I was kind of on the entrance side, near the top. Um, and that's the thing, I think I, I'm, this is the first time I think I've rewatched this show. I think maybe I've Same. rewatched maybe one of the matches. Uh, one of them in particular, actually, but I'll mention that later, why I, I didn't see much of it um, when I was there live. But like where I was sat, yeah, it was a great view. And the venue looked brilliant. Unfortunately, on tape, it doesn't translate at all. Because, like, the tape's no. just, like... you they got three and a half thousand people in there. And the DVD is just a lot of empty space on the floor, isn't it, unfortunately? And it doesn't really... You know, this is free on YouTube. It, it is Sean Herbert himself who's uploaded it there. It's, like, a re, re-edited version. So anyone can, can YouTube it and search it out. Uh, but, yeah, unfortunately, the, uh, the the camera work maybe doesn't capture, you know, how packed it was in there. And just, yeah, the fact that we were all sat there with 3,000 other wrestling fans just seemed uh, unreal at the time. Really good. Um, I mean, even from this first match onwards, I mean, we'll get into the card now because it opened up with uh, Spud against Chris Saban, against Pete Williams, against Johnny Storm. And, I mean, this, you know, great spot fest, but some of the things that jumped out to me was, uh, I mean, seen Spud loads around the time, but I'd forgotten about his, you know, real shindy gear, and it really looks like Drake Maverick's eating him these days, doesn't it? <laughs> 
And also funny that when the Canadian Destroyer was treated as uh, this big finisher and not the oh, transitioning yeah. movie is the day. Oh, yeah, that's it. it. was The whole match was built around it, wasn't it? The idea of the, the teasing for it and then, you know, I'm actually doing it. Back when PZ Williams was the the one guy doing his move. But, yeah, back to Spud, that was a big takeaway from me. I remember being in the queue for, for Jax, you know, for the meet and greet and him. And he was just literally walking up and down the queue, shaking fans' hands and making sure they knew who he was. I kind of, I always looked at that and thought, you know, that's good, that. It's a good, uh, you know, as a wrestler trying to get your name out there. And he obviously, you know, for the opposite reason you'd normally expect, he stood out in the crowd, Spud, didn't he? You know, being so unbelievably small, you know, for a pro mm. wrestler. But I always like that. I appreciate his work ethic. Like, he's someone who, like, by the old method metrics of Brit Res, I would say he'd be like a first-class Hall of Famer. Because at this point in time, you know, these days, obviously, you know, wrestlers have got, like, higher goals. But the fact that a wrestler from this period would, one, make it to, to TNA, of all things, and probably have one of their best feuds with EC3, but two, make it as far as WWE, and, you know, he got the 24-7 title. He hasn't been used particularly well, but he had that run as the GM on 205 Live. He's had a bloody success. Successful careers, but doesn't he buy by mid two thousands Brit Res metrics? Obviously, as with all things in WWE, things can be better. But yeah, I couldn't help but watch this thing. And God, how far this uh, this little kid that I, I saw in the queue outside the Jacks has come uh, over these last fifteen years. Yeah, I mean, he has done absolutely fantastic. I mean, if someone sat next to you watching the show would say, "Oh, that guy's going to be in WWE in, in like fifteen years' time," you would think they were insane. But I mean, Jamesy. Um, what did you think of this match? It was uh, quite a fun spot fest, I thought. Oh, it was, yeah. Just before we talk about the match, the first thing that struck me when I'm watching the VOD is how silly the little FWA ring yes. looks. In this oh, game. yes. Oh, my <laughs> God. It, it, it's the, it's the, for, is it 14 by 14 foot by 14 foot ring? Oh, yeah, it tiny. Looks, it lo- I'm sure it probably was the same in the venue when you guys were there, but like to me watching on VOD, this tiny little ring looks so silly. Like, uh, and even we'll probably talk about it later on the VOD. CM Punk cuts a promo later on, and he literally makes the point that I couldn't do a submission hold properly in this ring because it was so small oh. that all the all Samoa Joe had to do was put his foot out, no matter where he was in the ring, and he was touching the ropes. And like, I have no idea why they didn't get a bigger ring because so. it just, it, you know, like, like the place for two thousand and five. Mm. it looked good in terms of the stage you know compared to some VODs now it wasn't bad you know what I mean like it was mainly the hard camera they didn't try to do anything fancy with the camera work it was okay but then this little ring it just it just made the whole thing feel kind of rinky dink when when everything else was for for its time was pretty good looking you know so that, that was kind of the first thing that struck mm. me um, yeah I'm there too I, I, just I, on the ring like I, I was there too like yeah. I, I, I remember distinctly getting there live and th- in my head it's like oh it's this big wrestling channel show and then I got there and I was like, oh, yeah, it's still British wrestling. You know, it's still <laughs> it's still what at that time in my life I imagined British wrestling to be just, yeah, the dingy, dingy. It's just small time. I think that's the best way to put it. James, yeah. it did yeah. come across yeah. as small time, but it does kind of, it kills a lot of the matches. Um, like I say, I think the presentation was all right. Like the, the, they had the, the scaffold on there. I bet you that's still the Red Pro sca- scaffold in there uh, that Andy Hughes used to this day. <laughs> well, it definitely, it well. definitely looked like it, I've got to say. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, those little things, just a, not even a little thing. It's a big thing, isn't it? The ring. It's like, come on. I know for a fact they had a WWE size ring at one of Alex Shane's training schools in Manchester at that time. I've heard his, uh, his students at the time talk about it. It was the ring that I trained in in GPW. Like they could have got that thing down there. They could have got any anything down there yeah because it did come across so so small time 
<laughs> and like and the match itself I would say is 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 you know for the mid 2000s it's a good hot indie spot fest opener you know what I mean you know by modern standards there's nothing here that that's that's particularly riveting or anything like that like you guys said it, it's nice to look back at a time when the Canadian destroyer actually felt special mm-hmm. and had meaning and was was a death move that finished people off no matter what and wasn't done three or four times during the match and did you guys clock who the referee was oh I was going to say oh, Andy Q. we just mentioned him there <laughs> Yeah, Andy Quilden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because my my first time ever seeing Andy Quilden, I only realised it years later. I think I was chatting online to somebody. Was at those ROH shows the following year, and I one of the things that I always took away was that this poor young referee. And at the time, Theo Walcott was was the hot young prospect in the mm-hmm. English football, and he got nothing but Theo. I don't know was it a thing in Brit Rest at the time, but I only heard it for the first time at the ROH show. These Theo Walcott songs uh, and this poor referee looking mortified. And it was only years later I put two and two together and realised, God, that's the guy who, who runs RevPro now, like crazy, yeah. But yeah, he got the same. Yeah. He got the same chance at one uh, PW if I remember correctly. I mean, he always turns up, doesn't he? He was there. He was a referee for the Bigger in Wigan, and he's a referee here, and he's the referee. He always turns up Andy Quillen as a as a referee on these shows, and um, he, he, I forget how much um, how much he was all around the country refing and things like that. Um, but I mean, moving on to match two and. Um, World of Sport was, e- I mean, Sean Herbert said World of Sport was easily the biggest ratings draw on uh, on the wrestling channel by far, and it wasn't even closer than anything else. So naturally, they thought, oh, it's so popular on the channel, let's do a uh, World of Sport rounds match, uh, Steve Gray against Mal Sanders. And I've got to confess, I do I do appreciate it, and I, I, I get that some people like it, but these World of Sports rounds matches have never really been for me. I remember live not thinking it was too bad, but I remember the crowd were really like, you know, doing some daft chants during it and really not enjoying it at all. And then watching it on, on BOD, I, you know, I, I sort of like was flicking in and out of uh, of watching it. But I mean, Benno, what were your thoughts uh, from watching <laughs> this live and, and then watching it back on the BOD? Yeah, Don't hold I, back now, Benno. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mentioned to you guys in our DM on Twitter because I reckon James is going to like this. I hated it. I hated it live, and I hate it still now. I just, I just hate this style. I just hate it. I just think it's, it's a bygone era, and everyone always tries to bring it back. The whole rounds thing. I just, yeah, no one wants it. Is basically my, my answer to that. Yeah, and I remember being there live, man, and like if you're saying there was. 3,500 people in the building, 2,500 of them were at the match table during this match because it just goes on forever. Like, I get why it's there. I agree. You know, it's the wrestling channel, like like they've always said, their highest rating, highest rating say, um, shows were always, you know, the world of sports stuff. You know, when is, it was still being syndicated on Men and Motors and it's probably still on some Sky Channel 999 at the moment. Like, it still <laughs> pulls a rating, doesn't it? But for the type of crowd that was in this building, it was just a, it was a real sit on your hands or head to the merch table type of match. I mean, I appreciated the story they tried to tell you. It was like, you know, starting out clean and there was a bit of cheating and then I think because it was Sanders getting frustrated and then it backfired and then, you know, that was kind of the story of the match and I, I could see what they were trying to do with, like, 
2020 eyes, but yeah, this style's just not for me. I just think it's it, it belongs where it was left, and every attempt to revive it, and uh, it, it, it's like every startup always thinks, oh, you know what we need to do? Bring back rounds, bring back, bring back the old British rules back from when it was good. And for me, it wasn't good. Uh, it's just not my, it's not what I grew up with. Not my type of wrestling. Not a type of thing that I've ever gone back and watched. And this might be sacrilege to a lot of people, but yeah, I just find it fucking boring. If I'm honest, uh, you know, the I remember. I still remember the spot where one or the other goes to put his finger up the other one's ass. That's got the biggest pop in the uh, in the building there live at the time, and I remember seeing that and going, "Oh, that's that's creative, I suppose." But I, I love the story as well. I don't know if uh, it's true or not, but like uh, they were planned to supposedly go in more falls in this one, and they kind of the, the two wrestlers in the ring after the first fall look like they're about to wrestle again. It does look like that on the VOD, and yeah, someone, just, does, someone yeah. just plays the music, and then they kind of shrug at each other and laugh. And have to leave. Uh, I remember being live, quite glad of that at the time. And yeah, I've got to be honest, watching on VOD, I didn't love it either. But uh, I'm guessing, I'm guessing, James, you might have a different take. Yeah, well, well, Sean Herbert said as much on that podcast with Did Alan he? that, that they, there was he, he was under the impression it was to go six or seven rounds. Oh, and good God! First, Imagine, yeah. And, and somebody just called an audible on it and, and just left it after the first fall. But like, like my thing with the world of sports style is I, I am a fan of it. Like myself and Alan did did a little series of podcasts a good few years ago now on his old um, when he did the podcast over on the Observer site. And uh, we would have kind of picked a couple of of the old British wrestlers per episode and look back at their best stuff. And like the two of us kind of fell in love with the style when we were picking out the best matches and that kind of thing. And we made some great discoveries like the like the likes of Terry Rudge like became someone I became a huge fan of Steve Gray like one of the guys in this match like if you watch his stuff from back in the day some of his, his matches with John Cortez like are really really good years ahead of their time you know what I mean and, and like the, the style gets I think pigeonholed a lot into the Johnny Saint stuff and the tricks and then Cold Cabana kind of came along and his version of it was very much the Johnny Saint version of it. You know what I mean? But like you can go back and watch some of that stuff and it's really, really gritty, hard nosed Matt wrestling. You know what I mean? Like and when it gets heated in some of those older matches, it honestly is really, really good. You know what I mean? And I do think the style has become a little bit misrepresented by certain people in modern times. And they've taken the kind of comedic aspect of it. And some of the more grittier stuff has been kind of forgotten. You know what I mean? But that's me. And I accept that I'm on an island with it. You know what I mean? And, and I fully agree that like it, at this match, it was a bit of a damp squib on this card. You know what I mean? Like, this was a crowd full of indie fans in their 20s who wanted to see Canadian Destroyers, wanted to see AJ Styles, wanted to see Misawa. They weren't here for this. You know what I mean? And it must have been everybody's dad tuning into the wrestling channel to watch those <laughs> other matches. You know what I mean? Because like Sean Herbert said, it was the only you know, promotion or, or shows that they put on it that actually made money and everything else was kind of breaking even at best. You know what I mean? So, you know, I understand why they put this on the show, but like it was a bit of a mess on the night, you know, and it also wasn't two guys in their prime doing the style. Like it was two guys in their fifties and sixties doing it. You know what I mean? So they weren't as fast or as nimble as those guys would have been 20, 30 years ago. You know what I mean? And yeah, probably ill-advised. I get why it was on there, but they lost the crowd, and I think it probably was for the best that an audible was called in the night for us. Yeah, and they definitely did something to bring the crowd back up after after that match. And obviously, Bill Apter comes out on it to present a lifetime achievement award to Mick Foley, who gets like a really, really good reception. They turn it into an angle with Alex Shane coming out saying that he deserves the award more than Foley. I think he even calls him an old, washed-up, fat, crippled piece of shit, which is. 
charming. But uh, yeah, I mean, that was it's just an excuse to get Foley out and do a bit with Alex Shane, really, wasn't it, Benno? Yeah, that's it. I was going to say, like, if you want to torture me or put me in a hostage situation, then show me world of sports style matches with Gray and Sanders might be the uh, the way to really torture me. But maybe an Alex Shane promo segment is worse. Yeah. <laughs> he's just he's got to be on everything, hasn't he? And obviously his fingerprints were all over this show because it was essentially an Alex Shane show. I just really don't think his uh, like you, you mentioned there, quoting some of his lines is his promos don't really age very well, do they? I remember thinking he was the Remember when the, uh, was it the, the King of Europe, it wasn't the King of Europe Cup, it was the, the, the King of England Cup, wasn't it, on Bravo, that, that FWA show that yeah. showed, and he was, as far as a promo goes, I remember as a kid, thinking, oh, there you go, there's a British wrestler with a bit of charisma, and I've always had it in my brain that he was the one British guy who kind of had the, the major league charisma, but he just comes across so try-hard, doesn't he, like he's just the, he's doing an imitation <laughs> of eight different wrestlers at the same time. Um, and of course, yeah, he get the uh, the interview segment with uh, with Foley on the night. I think Foley was pretty good for his part. He didn't really have much material to work with. Uh, the whole cheap pop thing he kept kind of going back to and and doing the jokes uh, about the Cookie Monster uh, with Bill Apter. He did his best with the uh, with the situation. Uh, but yeah, this was kind of a part of the course, wasn't it, for Brit Res for here the three years before it and really forever after it. Wherever there's a big Brit Res show, Alex Shane is somewhere around the corner. Getting his, uh, getting his five minutes, and this was uh, exactly that. And uh, next up, I mean, um, I bet you two were all over this match at the time. Uh, CM Punk against Samoa Joe, and not, not really like um, a patch on their ROH matches, but it was good seeing them do all their stuff live, especially when uh, on the outside when Joe puts him on the chair and, and all the cha- all the crowds chanting "Ole Ole" as he's racing round to. Uh, kick punk and um, an enjoyable match obviously not a patch on their ROH stuff uh, here Jamesy yeah you, you nailed it there Martin like as I said nothing close to the classic trilogy that they had kind of uh, at the end of the year before um, but like it's it's important to stress to people like that for an English crowd to get to see Samoa Joe like Samoa Joe in 2005 was probably the best wrestler in the world like you think about the year he had that year like when he had the he had the Kobashi match like he had the probably had the best match in ROH history he would have the best match in TNA history against um Styles and Daniels later in that year maybe the best US independent match in history against um the Necro Butcher like he was just on app like if ever a wrestler had a great year like you could put Samoa Joe's 2005 up against any year any wrestler ever had like he was so good at that point like really at the peak of his powers like you look at him now on WWE TV like and how broken down he is and how slow he is moving around the ring and look at the speed of him moving around the ring here like the aura he had the presence the strikes the hard hitting um, and yeah like this wasn't anything approaching their great work in ROH, I would call it they kind of did the greatest hits of their feud for the crowd. You know what I mean? And there were some nice little nods to the trilogy. Like there's a few times Punk goes back to a headlock in the match, which is very much the story of some of those one-hour draws that him and Joe had. Um, It's kind of jarring to look back. This is probably sacrilege to you now, Benno. I don't know how upset you'll be about this. It's (laughs) jarring to, to, to look back at Punk and look at him with kind of modern eyes and like... He really was mechanically quite poor as a wrestler, wasn't he? Like when you look at how he moved around the ring, the awkwardness he had, you know, obviously his great strength was his charisma and his promo ability and that kind of thing. Like, but when you actually see him work back then, like he, he got an awful lot by the time he got to WWE, I think he was a lot smoother and an awful lot better. And he learned to work that style very well. Like, but he actually was a very 
awkward wrestler back in those days. And it wasn't the kind of something I really appreciated at the time. And it's only when you look back now and you think, God, he actually, you know, he, he just, he wasn't the most athletically gifted person at all, you know? Yeah, for, for me, like, I, I'm one of the biggest CM Punk fans going. And I'd always accept, I'd always agree with that. Like, for me, I always found it strange. Like, in ROH, he was never... He wasn't the work rate guy. He was, like you say, he was the story guy. He was the charisma guy. He was the guy who had the bloody feud with Raven and the bloody feud with Jimmy Raven was about his, yeah, his promos yeah. and the emotion he'd bring, especially to his Chicago matches. And you're right, it was the personality and the charisma that kind of made him my favourite wrestler at that time. And it was so weird that when he went to WWE that he was cast as like the work rate guy, wasn't he? Like him and yeah. Daniel Bryan as like this... Bret Hart, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels equivalent uh, in the two thousand in the two thousand tens. I think a lot of that's probably just you know there weren't that many great matches happening in WWE at that point, and you know Punk probably came across as a work great guy to people who maybe weren't watching stuff outside of WWE so much. But he's always been a promo guy to me, and always been yeah a charisma guy. Uh, if anything, he's a WWE style wrestler. Like that's what he always was on the yeah. Indies. He was a. Uh, Heel face kind of, you know, traditional, you know, heel beat down, face comeback, rah rah match. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so- exactly. Yeah. Sorry, Ben, go on. No, go on, James. What are you going to say? I was just going to say, I always think he looked more comfortable in a WWE ring, mm. like, uh, and I think it, it definitely suited him better. Mm. And like, j- j- just you know, we talk about promos. I mentioned it earlier. Like, he just, you know, you're kind of looking at it and kind of doubting him when you see the match, and then he does this promo after the match for no real, like, he has no reason to cut a promo. Oh, it's it not goes like nowhere this as well. <laughs> a, you know, yeah, but, but like, even that promo, he sits, he cuts sitting backstage. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just the delivery is tremendous. Like, you're riveted by what he's saying. You know what I mean? And it's, you know, he has no reason to give it. They're not coming back the following months to do a rematch or anything like that. And he still cuts this incredible promo and you go, God, that's why yeah. CM Punk was so good. You know what I mean? It's just a nice reminder of actually what he's really good at. Yeah, you're reminded of the why he's there. Maybe it should have been him doing yeah. the promo segment with Foley and not Alex Shane. Uh, but yeah, like as a match, it, it was. It was an exhibition. That's what it was. It was, you know, like I said, greatest hits is the best way of putting it. Uh, kind of Punk leaning more into the heel role. I thought it was interesting. Joe was, was so over as a face because I thought he'd made his debut in TNA at this point but I think it was Slammiversary later this year that he moved into TNA so I don't think that's where the fans I think both of them kind of had a UK pedigree at this point didn't they they were both you know making visits over to the UK and had a, a bit of fandom and punk had kind of the early stages of his straight edge kind of obnoxious heel character he did a, he did do a lot of her in the UK uh, but yeah I thought it was an interesting match to watch back, watch back. like you say greatest hits Punk going back to that headlock that he did uh, so many times in those one hour draws and it was just if anything interesting to see the two of them in a big arena at a time when it was probably one of the biggest attendances both of them had worked in are in front, in front of at that point and it is a different kind of style of match to have uh, so that kind of made it interesting to watch back too but if you really are going to go back and watch a Punk versus Joe match this would be uh, down the bottom of the list definitely go and, uh, mm-hmm. and watch those ROH matches and if yeah like you said James if you watch it for anything maybe watch it just for the promo even though yeah he kind of he's building up a Joe match that's never going to happen again I think he faced maybe Joe in a multi-man in ROH just on his way out I think that's that's as if you could say it was building up anything maybe it was that um, but yeah it did kind of kind of show the, the best of CM Punk if maybe you didn't get it in the uh, in the match itself and um, I mean, obviously having a great match like that, you know, seeing that live was uh, brilliant at the time. But then next up, we had uh, Misawa Agawa, Tiger Emperor taking on Doug Williams, Two Cold Scorpio and James Ty. And obviously 
Doug Williams and Scorpio were um, a regular tag team in NOAA at the time. And um, sort of, I mean, around the time, remember um, James Ty getting a lot of a uh, lot of buzz around him as being um, sort of like the next Brit Rest guy. And I suppose this might have been a proving ground for a uh, match for him, Benno. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, as soon as I watched this, I thought a few guys did the same thing. I Wikipedia them and found out. How one? How old is he now? And two? What's he up to? And the answer was not mm. much, really, was it? I believe he's thirty-eight now, so he's he's not too old, you know. I, I know he does do. He's, I think he's semi-retired. I think is how he's uh, described at this point. But like I said, he was headlining that FWA show. I didn't make it to. He was kind of the big Brit Res hope at this time, wasn't he? And he was kind yeah. of put in there with these absolute legends, and you know, given a chance to to you know get himself over. I thought he did okay in the match. I don't know if he made a. Too many uh, big fans, although, you know, considering who was in there, it's uh, it's probably no shame to see him uh, overshadowed there either. Um, I enjoyed it as well. It was kind of like, it was very much your typical Noah Sixman, wasn't it? It was, on the yeah. night, I think it might it might well be, if it wasn't for the main event, be the best match. But it was just your kind of your typical, legitimate Noah Sixman that, you know, I remember being there live and being made up that I got to see one live. I got to see Masao live. Mo Chatter as well, getting to do the ring announcing as well. That was a, <laughs> a nice touch too. Uh, yeah, I thought it was it was good, but you know, I wouldn't be wouldn't be throwing roses at it. Yeah, well, for me, it was because um, I I was always uh, when I was younger, I was always all about New Japan and Muta and the Three Musketeers. But then, sort of like just um, it, it might have been a year before or a couple of years before, I started watching all the nineties old Japan stuff. So seeing Masawa live was just mm-hmm. like you know jaw dropping, and you never ever thought you'd get sort of like these big Japanese stars over in the UK. So. It was just, um, I remember just really going crazy, you know, when he made the tag and, and first came into the match. Um, I mean, Jamesy, being so um, removed from not seeing it live, how, how did you find this? Do you think it was just a typical Noah Six-Man? Yeah, pretty much. I, I think the, it, they, they got into some good near falls towards the end of it and it kind of picked up a little bit and that kind of thing. And like, God, it was it was a pure night off for Masaba, really. Like, you know what I mean? He, he he was kind of he spent most of the match on the ring apron, came in and threw a few elbows, broke up a few pins, and that was pretty much his work done for the night. And like you know, when you go to a show like this, if you're a UK fan who's been watching Masawa, you know, from, from like yourself, Martin, for watching the '90s all Japan stuff on grainy tapes and that kind of thing, you're happy just to be in the same building as the man. You know what I mean? And if you can say, "I got to saw see Masawa throw a few elbows in the ring." that's all you want from the match. You know what I mean? I don't think anybody's expecting him to come over and give you a five-star classic or anything like that. Um, and it was fine. It was like a, a Coroquin, maybe semi-main event. You know what I mean? That kind of a level of things where um, they let the younger guys, Tiger Emperor and um, James Tig, do an awful lot of the running. Um, a nice little reminder as well, I thought, of how good and smooth Doug Williams was at that time. Like, like that guy was so smooth. Like like we would have known him from from our, from our the 2002 ROH there, Benno, you know, and the, mm. he was, it wasn't the end of the, the the first tight that, that four-way Iron Man match for the to crown the first ever ROH champion, and he was in there like mixing it up with the Lokis and the Spankies and the Chris Daniels, and he didn't look out of place one bit. Like you know, he was as good as any of those top indie guys in the US at the time. Yeah, maybe laughter in the promo after the match. The uh, the interviewer describes him as a veteran, and I was like, if he's a veteran, then like you know, he's had his <laughs> retirement in twenty nineteen. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he's <laughs> still going now. Uh, got to hand it to him, though. Yeah, he is. He's one of our greats, isn't he, Doug Williams? And it was good that he, yeah. that he's on that. Like, forgotten pivotal this. Show. Yeah, oh for sure. Sorry, Sorry Martin, just before you go on to that, it's actually interesting. I know you saw him wrestle for Noah in, in January, Martin, but before that, when he did his first retirement tour, um, he actually went back over to Noah and his his 
in inverted commas retirement match was actually against Ogawa so I thought it was a nice kind of a oh. full circle that, that 15 years later they wrestled again you know what I mean and it's I think clearly Ogawa has a bit of an affinity for the, the British wrestlers because when mm. remember when Zach went over to Noah he very much took Zach under his wing as well you know what I mean so clearly he kind of has a bit of a bit of a liking for the British style and you can see that in his own wrestling as well you know and actually Ogawa is still really good he has had one of the best matches of the year this year in Noah again like so you know what's that 15 years later he's still on the go and he's still really really good like so these Japanese wrestlers really have a lot of longevity about him you know Definitely. And then, but I mean, next up, we had a match that um, was really um, live. I absolutely loved this because I remember, I think, I don't know if I'd gone to the bar uh, or gone to the toilet. I remember coming out and my mate going, quick, quick, come over here. And um, literally ran over to him just as uh, Alex Shane was doing um, a dive off the balcony onto Raven. And then you know how these matches go. They brawled all over the arena. And I think me and my mate were following it all the way through. And yeah, just absolutely loved it live just a big brawl all over i mean this was just alec alec shane all over he always loved having these brawl crowd but wide brawls and things like that but then watching it on tape these things are never as good as they are live are they Benno? no that's it like i again you know similar to the one spot from the world of sport rules match the one spot i remember is that alex shane bump uh when they even <laughs> quote unquote throws him off the balcony but watching it back alex shane going feet first it's not quite as impressive as it looked from a from a distance i think there were a few uh fwa trainees down there uh catching them weren't there uh, but yeah i mean it was it was a fun trip down memory lane like to get to see the you know as much as i moaned about me that, that show stolen alex shane theme with the uh with the count down and the just general Alex Shaneness that <laughs> surrounded this match with us. What were the stable called in the in the big leather jackets? Was it, it wasn't the fam, it was something like that though, wasn't it? Like a East End London. Yeah, family. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but yeah, something the like the thing. firm, yeah. Yeah, like, like all of that stuff going up against Raven, who to be fair, he could still go at this point. Like I watched this um that NWA TNA title match he had with Jarrett at the start of TNA, where he really should have won the belt. Uh, he was someone who had a good couple of years after uh, after WCW and ECW, and that wound up uh, again the rate the, the punk feud that we mentioned earlier. Um, he he kind of you know it, I wouldn't say he had his, his working boots on, but he just did the Raven match, didn't he? A bit of a mm-hmm. bit of bit of brawl and bit of bullshit, bit of bit of bit of fanciness in the crowd. He, he had to sell for the Alex Shane uh, check up from the neck up. Which I absolutely love that there was a conversation at some point where Alex Shane had to explain to Raven what exactly that move was and how it was <laughs> going to be his, his fancy reversal to the even flow DDT. Uh, I thought it was weird that like the, the finish as well. The finish had Alex Shane's ropes uh, feet under the ropes for some reason. I assume that was due to going to pay off in some kind of storyline way. I can't really yeah. remember at the time, but yeah, it was just a it was a match of you know cheap spots and just. Uh, yeah, fun brawly crowd stuff that probably probably was more fun for us two live in the building than it was for uh, Jamesy watching back on tape. Yeah, big time. I mean, this was grand. Like watching it back with no emotional attachment, like you guys would have to the match. It's your typical mid two thousands Alex Shane brawl. You know what yeah. I mean? And that there's there's not a lot to it on VOD. Like the, the craziness of taking a bump off a balcony feet first. Like, and and I don't know. It's probably because he's not athletically good enough to kind of flip over like most wrestlers would and kind of land on his back. But um, yeah, like, I mean, and, and I think I read that he kind of did himself quite a bit of damage by taking that bump feet first. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. But um, apart from that, I don't have an awful lot to say about this. There's the fun 
Foley run in at the end, I suppose, kind of justifying his booking fee and that kind of thing. But yeah, it's fine. It's, it, it, it wouldn't be a match, I would say, to anybody that they'd need to go out of their way to see. But like, um, I think Raven was on a bit of a UK and Ireland tour at the time because actually I realised later on that, like, we might talk about it later the following night. I, I was at a big Irish whip wrestling show, but I was looking at Raven's cage match from around this time. And I remembered then that I was actually at a show that he was on the following Thursday night in Waterford, oh, which wow. is my hometown, in a theatre. Yeah. And the main event was, what was it? It was him. It was Alex Shane again. It was Raven and Shane was so shocked to see against Alex Shane and Red Vinny. And like, you want to talk about a guy phoning it in. Raven basically didn't take the T-shirt off for the whole match, which is never a good sign. You know, you, you know, you, you talk about Naito not taking the T-shirt off in New Japan. Raven didn't even bother taking the T-shirt off. <laughs> and he literally stood on the apron on the microphone for the whole match, leading the crowd in chance against Alex Shane, and then walked into the ring for the finish, hit the DDT and pinned him, and that was it. And that was his entire contribution to the show. Like So, like, I mean, <laughs> you guys did well to get what you did out of Raven in this match, because I think in some of these other shows he did in that, in that European tour, he wasn't doing an awful lot at all. Well, next up was the match. I mean... These guys obviously faced each other in loads of scenarios, loads of situations. But, I mean, I can remember watching this live and absolutely loving it. And I think it's um, watching it back on tape certainly still lives up to my memories of it. I love this. Christopher Daniels against AJ Styles. I think it's this is before they had the three-way with Joe, if, if I remember correctly. But still, absolutely loved it. And I think even Christopher Daniels uh, still says to this day this is his uh, favourite match against AJ here, Benno. Yeah, well, I'd like to say I'm with you, but I didn't see a minute of this one live. <laughs> I didn't see any of it. Um, I'm just going to crack my knuckles here, get ready to tell you a yarn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, what happened that, What happened for me on this night? Like, I, it's a great match to watch back of it. I should, uh, I should get into that in a minute. But yeah, I didn't see a minute of it because the, uh, before this match, there was the small matter of the, the raffle uh, that happens at this show. And I remember going, coming into the the venue on the on the way in. There were a couple of like scantily dressed women selling raffle tickets, and I had like literally I think I had a pound in my pocket, and I paid a pound for one strip for this raffle. First prize being tickets to go see Ring of Honor uh, on any show that you could choose. So I, thought, I mean, being me, I had to get it. Literally spent my last pound on it. And yeah, they did the raffle, and wouldn't you know it, idiot here had the winning ticket. Uh, yeah, I just <laughs> Fantastic. distinctly remember being in the crowd in the balcony as they, uh, they read it out right before this match, just looking at my ticket, going, like, This is li- that's me. Uh, I've got the ticket somewhere, I'll have to dig it out. I literally kept it to this day. Uh, but I honestly, my experience of this match is one like just not being able to believe it that I'd won, and it being me, the idiot deck to toe in, in Ring of Honor merch that would win the, uh, <laughs> the Ring of Honor grand prize and the raffle to go watch any Ring of Honor show in America. But yeah, I spent the entirety of this match trying to track down how exactly I was going to get my prize because like everyone was clearing away and they, they just said something like, it wasn't like they invited you into the ring because I would have fucking loved that. But it was just a case of they were like, oh yeah, go to the merch table and uh, I give you details in. But like I literally couldn't find a person who'd take who'd like take my details down and I'd be down as I think I ended up giving my details to like some security bloke uh who took all my details down and didn't really know what I was going on about. Um say I think he about a couple of months later I think he rang me because I'd given me my mobile number just to check I got me prize. But like yeah, I'd spend the entire match just running around trying to oh, trying to no. claim this thing. I did eventually get it. I, I, it was again, it was Sean Herbert who, who, who sorted it because like after the show, I emailed Alex Shane uh, and, and 
basically said, oh yeah, I'm the I'm the raffle winner. I couldn't find anybody at the show to, to give my winning ticket to, but you know, I won. He may be sending a photo of my winning ticket just to prove I'd won. <laughs> <laughs> Which I feel like to this day, I could have really mocked up. Like say it was green 256. I could definitely have found a green 256 somewhere else. But he took that as proof. And then in typical Alex Shane fashion, disappeared for three months and never emailed me back. <laughs> and then eventually I escalated it to Sean Herbert and was like, listen, mate, can you sort this out? I won this raffle. And to be fair to him, he very quickly sorted me out. And yeah, uh, by the time that happened, I was able to go watch uh, Joe Ver- you know, the, the, the small matter, James, of Joe versus Kabashi. In the same year, I got <laughs> to see Sour and Kabashi. What a lucky man. Uh, yeah, I managed to talk them into making that my, uh, my winning raffle ticket. And they did sort me out flights from London uh, to to New York uh, and uh, a night hotel as well to see both the uh, the Joe the Joe Kabashi match and the other uh, follow up tag on the second night of Philadelphia. So yeah, well, excuse me for going through to the yard, but yeah, one of the uh, definitely one of the, the the only time I think I've ever won anything like that. And God, for me, for for two thousand and five, Benno was the biggest ring of honor fan of the world that is a first prize i think i probably would have taken that over winning the lottery at that point uh, as stressful as it was during the main event trying to uh, cash in my winning ticket no oh, no i, I can't remember. believe that they made you miss the main event because you had to run around looking for someone <laughs> that it's like you say typical sort of like i like shame move there yeah that's it i reckon there was a table and as soon as they gave like the prize of him it was like right lads close up shop quick it's like when you go to the races and, like, <laughs> yeah. during the last race they're pulling everything down so that the drunken the drunken fa- uh, people who've won the on the last race can't come and claim their winnings uh, he did his best to dodge me but i did uh, eventually track him down <laughs> I remember the first time I met you, Benno, and I'd say within 30 seconds you told me that story. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, anyone who knows me probably knows that it story your already. Tale of, it, was, it was your go-to story of the day, I think. Oh, definitely. That and sh- I probably showed you my first wrestling match as well. I'm sure I did that too. Uh, that was the following year. You hadn't, had, you hadn't had your... Yeah, yeah. I remember, yeah, yeah. Within about 20 seconds, the phone was out and you were like, look at this, look at this. And it was you getting squashed by some big ball guy. <laughs> so yeah, I'm nothing if not a predictable i'd say reliable reliable Absolutely. Is the one. Oh, look they're, they're good yeah, stories in fairness. Been out for content benno and you've not loaded that much to youtube oh i know <laughs> it's there uh, you're just gonna find it uh, i'm not i'm not telling anyone the keywords but yeah <laughs> it is out next, there it's our next retro review my partner oh. we're gonna review that for the next show i remember i literally went up to like uh carrie silken and showed them that match like it wasn't just you jamesy i was like oh here's me having a match <laughs> And I don't know if the gears were going in his head, but he was like, he, the only thing, he didn't even, he just kind of went, oh, yeah, that was quick. Uh, got a good, <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think he mustered, you've got a good look. And I was like, oh, thanks. That, 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 was, that was enough for me from the, uh, from the Ring of Honor. Yeah, yeah. I'll take that. <laughs> I love that. Were you expecting him to go, oh, quick, come and have a trial for us like, next week? <laughs> well, that was out of a hope. I was like, oh, maybe I'll get to do a dark match on the Ring of Honor shows. Uh, oh, well, it wasn't to be. Maybe if Amazing. they came back the next year, maybe it could have happened. <laughs> you had so much hustle back then, Benno. But, um, <laughs> Jamesy, what, what were you, obviously you got to see this on the uh, Irish show the night after, but I mean... I mentioned it there, but this was the match around this time period, weren't it? They had, the, they had that... Oh, yeah. uh, 60-minute time limit draw in PWG. I think they did a best of three series over three nights in Australia. I mean, all the matches they had on TNA, I mean, the three-way with Joe was yet to come that year. And just this was the match. And seeing it live, I was just in awe of seeing such a great match. And I'm so glad it lived up watching this back. 
Oh yeah, and like you know, for me again, without the emotional attachment that you guys have of being in the building, like this is a genuinely really good match. Just watching it back with 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 the eyes of of fifteen years later, it totally holds up. You know what I mean? Like just everything they did is so crisp and so smooth. You know, the, the, all the familiarity spots where they're kind of you know they're reversing everything each other is doing. And what I always you know you talk about looking back at Punk through new through new eyes, you forget how how stiff and how mean AJ was as a wrestler. You know what I mean? You kind of associate him with being a great athlete and high spots and that kind of thing. But like he used to hit people so hard, like, and these two really laid into each other. And there was, there was even a nice kind of an inherent logic to the match where, where Daniel's kind of a lot of his offense was targeted at AJ's neck and that played into the finish. Um, and yeah, I thought the commentary was really good on this. Like they highlighted that as well. You know what I mean? Um, and yeah, really good match. Like your match, you'd go above four stars on no problem at all. You know what I mean? And like, yeah, I saw this exact same match in Irish with wrestling the following night. And it's to their great credit that they had a totally different match the next night. Like, you know, you wouldn't have blamed them if they had the exact same match two nights. You know what I mean? And there's probably very few people that was at both of those shows, you know. Um, but instead, you know, because, there's, you know, it's a credit to their work ethic and to their kind of their determination to kind of keep things fresh that they go to Dublin the following day and have a totally different match again, you know. And yeah, great match. Really, really good. Couldn't fault it. Because yeah. they were really smart with their flyings. I mean, they had them, all of them booked on a variety of other European promotions. I mean, Miss Sauer and the Now guys booked in BCW in Scotland. I've never seen any footage of that, but I imagine that's brilliant seeing Miss Sauer in front of about 100 people. Uh, they had Samoa Joe and Petey Williams in WrestleZone in Middlesbrough the night before, and then obviously a bunch of the guys flew out to Ireland to pay. I mean, any other um, highlights from that show that you went to the night after this, Jamesy? Uh, no, the, the other guy who was on the show you guys were at was Chris Saban, and he had a pretty good match against Darren Burridge. Like, this was the first indie show I'd ever been to. Um, I, I would have been to WWE house shows over the year in Ireland and that kind of thing. But, like, it, it was a great experience as, as a first independent show. You know what I mean? Just the, the different buzz of the crowd. I'll always remember that I had never heard dueling chants in person before, and, like, Almost throughout the whole of the main event, there was the Fallen Angel, AJ Styles chant. I can still hear it in my head now, 15 years later. And I just remembered that the buzz I got from, from seeing such, you know, like the undercard on this had some very, very dodgy stuff. Like I'm looking back at it here on Cage Match. Like when I would say that like the likes of Madman Manson had one of the better matches, um, you know, that'll tell you the level we're at. Um, but like to see such like, you know, for for quite a while uh, until I saw the, the Danielson Nigel McGuinness match uh, the following year that, and it still would rank in one of the best matches I've seen live, the Styles Daniels match. You know what I mean? It was just really, really good. I mean, I'm sure never, never ran another soap show after this one said it was too stressful. Just running one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Alex Shane and the FWA came back the year after to Coventry for another super show entitled uh, Universal Uproar and they had a fair few problems. All the TNA talent were pulled um, a couple of weeks before and they lost Matt Hardy due to him re-signing with WWE. But still I'd like to Kenta Kabashi and Amazing Red on the show. Uh, didn't draw as well as International Showdown and then by around this time one PW had starred in Doncaster and they were taking the super show format to another level i mean completely loading their cards with imports but i mean this show still got a good legacy i feel by now not just the show but the channel as well he's got a good legacy um in, in britain wrestling 
Yeah, I think for, you know, for all of us who were there, it's you know a huge memory as far as big shows in this country. And yeah, ge- you know, genuinely because of that main event, as Jamesy says, a match that would stand up today, and that I can understand is you know one of Chris Daniels' favorite matches because it is a very very good main event. They you know despite the limitations of the ring and the the situation, they really really delivered. Like I think that's that's probably that that should be most people's abiding memory really is is how good that main event was. Uh, and yeah, I would say I don't know if you'd agree, Martin. I'd say this is the peak of the Super Show era. Like I, I mean, obviously we had the King of Europe Cup uh, a couple of years later, and like you say, Alex Shane tried to run again at Coventry Star- Sky Dome, and One PW had their run of Super Shows. But I don't know. This is probably of the format the most successful, isn't it? And probably aesthetically the best. I mean, obviously, as we've talked about, not every match on this show was uh, particularly great, but as far as a variety of stars and wrestlers you got to see, as well as, you know, a great in-ring main event between two people, you know, AJ definitely in his prime, and, and Daniel still somewhere or there or thereabouts. Yeah, I think this is probably, for me, the peak of the Super Show era, and it's uh, no probably no uh, question why it was the first retro show we went to. Yeah, definitely, and, and and I could easily. I had such great memories rewatching this, and I don't think I'd have quite the uh, same good memories like rewatching some of the other shows um, that I attended live, mm. sort of like around this time period. But it, yeah, it was such a great nostalgia trip, like watching the show back, and then still the fact that um, I'll, you know, a few of the matches uh, lived up to my memories of them as well. Mm. Yeah, that's it. It definitely took me back to being a again a dumb twenty year old or whatever I was at that point of view at the time, <laughs> and and yeah, going to a getting to go to a show live like this, like say, it's reminded me how lucky I was to to see this hour live, you know, um, and that's something that you know I'm sure a lot of people would wish they were able to do, and yeah, get to see a match as, as good as that main event live as well, and just be generally part of history. Uh, it, it's it really is. It's a I think it's a you know obviously there's not a huge amount of British guys on the show uh but as far as brit res or, or wrestling in britain maybe is the the way of putting it goes this is a huge note in the uh, in the story of british wrestling it's it's a it's a whole chapter unto itself i'd imagine uh, uh in that book um would you did you ever consider going to the universal uproar show no i think when was universal uproar what, what was the date of universal uproar because I... uh, i'm not sure i think it was the year after sometime yeah. it might be march sometime maybe i'm pretty sure i was in america i think that's what it was right. uh, i think i'd make one of my trips out there probably for some roh show if i had the date i'm sure it was something like that that was the uh, the reason I, I didn't quite make it um but yeah oh, 12th of november 2005 apparently it was uh yeah i'm not sure why i didn't make it to that uh, odd one but yeah i think i think for whatever reason i had other plans and i wasn't able to to come back for it because yeah that's that's a show to be fair i don't think i've ever watched that back on tape either to, no. to be honest so maybe that'd be a, a fun one to go to mm-hmm. and james any last thoughts on on this show or that time period as a whole just just one thing on the vod like in an era where we constantly criticize the commentary in brit Res, um i thought the commentary on this show was pretty good I don't know if what you guys thought about it there was Eamon Darcy who was actually the Irish whip wrestling commentator and Dean A.S. who was kind of a well-known name at the time around British wrestling like mm. but when you compare it to some of the commentary that we get nowadays like if you if you sub those two guys in you could be doing an awful lot worse I don't know if you guys would agree with that or not yeah I always I always thought Dean A.S. was a pretty good sort of like um, commentator in that heel role wasn't he and he did um, yeah. a fairly decent job in 1PW as well yeah I, I... 
And I think he's good when he didn't lean too much into the heel act. Yeah. You know, when he was doing the stuff about going for a night, a night out with Samoa Joe later in the night and he was getting a couple of catchphrases in. That felt like stuff of a bygone era. But when he was just basically being straight man, I did think he was very good, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think the... They didn't have a huge. I don't think was this. This was probably the only time in him and Darcy ever did the show together. Um, but I don't think they had reasonably good chemistry. Uh, I thought him and Darcy definitely had the sound of the uh, the Alan Farrells about him. I thought thought he was. Uh, <laughs> he seemed pretty knowledgeable in that same vein as well. So I kind of kind of liked him. He was Irish whips commentator, wasn't he? Um, so yeah, you know what? It, it, it wasn't offensive, and I would say you know as far as British and, and Irish you right up goes, there straight away, doesn't it, it? <laughs> Hall of Famer status, I think, at that point, not being offensive, <laughs> not being offensive to my ears and shouting down my ear. I'll, I'll take yeah, that any day. Exactly. Uh, oh, yeah. one thing we didn't mention as well in that main event: Steve Linksteed's trackies. That was a big note for me as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that two thousand. Did he forget fashion. his trousers? I wonder. <laughs> he must have. Yeah. It's yeah. great to see some faces like him though as well, uh, dotted around the card, and I'm sure. There were so many of Brit Rez's great and good in that crowd. I know a lot of like the the Northwest End wrestlers were in the crowd for that night, and I'm sure plenty of the uh, the FWA trainees from down south were in there as well. Uh, it's probably a who's who if you went through the crowd. Never mind the wrestlers on the show. Oh yeah, definitely. And I imagine a fair few uh, future promoters were there as well. You know, mm-hmm. um, surely a big influence on them as well. Definitely. And um, yeah. Before we head out of here, um, James, have you got any plugs for us this week? Have I got any plugs? Yeah, my, my appearance on, on, on the Cafe Hangout with the guys earlier, I suppose. That'll be up, I think it's up on YouTube already. Um, that aside, nothing at the moment, no. Uh, just my my, um, my Twitter, at Jamesy underscore 2015. Awesome. And yeah. Uh, yeah, for me, yeah, you know, grapple as normal. We're still we're still running on Mondays. We haven't seemingly lost anything to talk about at the moment. There's still <laughs> plenty of WWE to slag off, and you know, AEW to follow, and just general news. Uh, we've been doing a lot. Of, we're going to do a review next week of the uh, the Dark Side of the Ring New Jack episode, which I'm really looking forward to watching tonight, uh, as well as WrestleMania. Oh, that's great. Uh, we did the review of the Benoit one on the uh, on the last episode, and yeah, more importantly than that, we had uh, we had you on Martin last week in a. Uh, in that bonus episode we mentioned earlier, reviewing Spring Stampede '94, and we a bit like this show really. We spent a bit of an hour at the start, didn't we? Just talking our own fandom at that point in time, and how we uh, we all got into WCW. So yeah, fans of Martin and just uh, fans of uh, of us in general should definitely uh, check that out. It's uh, grapple.podbean.com, and I'm on Twitter at Benson Richardy. Yeah, I had such a great time recording that. Cause obviously, you know it's. It's not been great for anybody, really, has it? And it's great to just come on these podcasts and chat and hopefully provide a distraction for people from everything that's going on in the world. Yeah, so definitely check that one out. And, um, yeah, we're going to be back on the 17th of April. Not quite sure what we'll be covering then, but um, I'm sure we'll come up with something. And uh, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you then.